Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hello once again, and this is episode 10 of The Grenade, and we've reached double digits. I'm your host, Ray Russell, and joining me here as always, the man who made the autographed Lex Luger giveaway possible. I'd like to welcome Steve Ekstat back to the show. And Steve, are you ready to tackle the first half of the month of June, 1989, and the NWA? Yeah, absolutely. It's the build-up to my favorite Clash of all time, so I'm pretty excited to see how the cookie crumbled to get to Clash 7. So I'm ready to get going. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at the first two weeks of June 89, the weekends of June 3rd and June the 10th, and all NWA TV heading into Clash of the Champions 7, Guts and Glory, the special which uh, we'll be doing a watch-along for as part of next week's episode. We've got it all, Steve. The pros, the Worldwides, World Championship Wrestling, and the main events, all four shows for both weeks, a total of eight shows to review, and some news and notes as well. That's yeah, a pretty packed show. Uh, even even though it's only two weeks, it's eight shows. I mean, last week we did three weeks and had nine shows. So you stay busy, but it's fun. I enjoy it. And before we get going, I just want to get a couple of things out of the way. We've got to thank our loyal fan base of listeners of The Grenade. As you guys continue to listen, download, and subscribe to the show. We can't thank you guys enough, and please continue to spread the word and retweet all the posts from our Twitter account to help us grow. Of course, all of our shows are available on WrestleCopia.com, but you can also find The Grenade wherever you listen to your streaming podcasts of pleasure. We're available on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pods, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, you name it, and we're probably there. And a reminder that you too can win free prizes as listeners of The Grenade as part of our continuous free giveaway offers. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's follow us on Twitter at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. It's that simple. Be a follower of the Grenade and you're automatically entered into each and every free gift giveaway. And spread the word about the free prize giveaway and the show in general because the more subscribers and followers we have, the more gifts we can give away, the more shows we can produce. And one more time, I just want to thank our loyal fan base, all of our listeners of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We hope to hear from you in the future. I want to give a big shout out to the one and only Retro Network. That's the Retro Network. You can find their site over at theretronetwork.com. Join Jason, Mickey, and the crew as they do a deep dive into eras gone by and especially the 80s and 90s. Two decades I'm happy to admit I grew up in. The Retro Network offers a little bit of everything for everyone who's looking to relive those youthful memories, grab hold of that nostalgic feeling, or for you youngins out there who want to see what the fuss was all about. We're talking podcasts, music playlists, articles covering everything from movie reviews to toys to cartoons and everything in between. They even have great holiday theme posts going on. There's great videos featuring segments like the Wax Pack Flashback where they unseal decades old trading cards. I find myself having fun every time I visit and there's always something new for you to enjoy every day you pop on there. 
You can follow the Retro Network on Twitter at TRN Social, and their website again is theretronetwork.com. Please come relive your childhood with Jason, Mickey, and the crew at theretronetwork.com. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the Battles Within exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. 
you can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a Power Patron tier. All you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account, where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month, with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited, we say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier. Where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive! to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. Okay, guys, and since we closed out the month of May last week and we now begin the month of June, for the first time ever in Grenade history, all 10, 10 episodes, where the hell am I at? Uh, we're going to kick off an episode with the May 89 Can you believe we're already through the month of May and it's already time once again for the Jobber of the Month Award. And in redundant fashion, I won't leave anyone in suspense because there was simply no competition in the month of May for the winner. And the May 89 VIP Jobber of the Month Award goes to Drumroll please. <laughs> For the second time, and in back-to-back months, no less, this was a one-candidate race for May. There was nobody close in this competition. For the second month in a row, our Jobber of the Month trophy goes to Mr. Lee Scott. Lee started off the month against the world, then-world champion Ricky Steamboat, went on to compete in five separate tag team matches, three times against the Dynamic Dudes. He should get the award just for that alone. Uh, also took on the Freebirds and the tag team of Ron Simmons and Ranger Ross and made them all look great. I think that's why uh, he was selected to work the dude so many times to help make him look good in the ring. Ron Simmons and Gordy just murdered him. Uh, that Simmons spine buster, I'm still cringing at that. And uh, Gordy's punt kicks just, oof, poor Lee Scott. And the uh, icing on the cake was the uh, Dwayne Bruce supposed rookie match. They were going to have one-on-one where Terry Funk interferes and he dumps Bruce on his head with a pile driver on the floor and Lee Scott gets out on the apron and starts pushing at Terry Funk, Funk's chest with his foot, uh, taunting Terry Funk. He tried to run away, got caught, and took a pile driver on the floor as well. So, so you other job guys out there, you better step up your game for the month of June. But as, as far as May goes, once again, congratulations are in order to Lee Scott, Steve. Absolutely. This, like you said, this is a one-horse race. 
he took on the best of the best as far as taking liberties on jobbers and and he he can sell like a million bucks and he makes everybody look good that he's in the ring with so he's the epitome of what a great jobber is and uh, i think it's that lanky frame that helps him he's not very big but he takes advantage of that and just gets brutalized and looks awesome doing it so congratulations (laughs) scott it's been real fun watching watching him, man. He's uh, really a standout in the job guy position on the card. Oh, absolutely. And like absolutely. I said I from the beginning, and like I said from the beginning, this is not a, like a, a joke award. Uh, I really appreciate these guys. They really do their job, so to speak. No pun intended. They really do. They, they make the other guys look great. And Lee Scott, man, really stands out to me. I hadn't really noticed that before. So going back through here in 1989, I have a whole new respect for Lee Scott. And, yeah, same here. I mean, uh, he's the one that stuck out. I mean, as far as jobbers go, I, I can't really think of others. I mean, Trent Knight, he's been around for a while. Mike Justice is on here still. Some of those guys that just been here from the get-go, but at least yeah. Scott sticks out for all the different reasons, and that's him taking an ass-beating and, and uh, making it look good. So uh, kudos to Lee Scott. I mean, he do a jobber of the year. Uh, you know, this dude already has two and take the grand prize at the end there. It's very possible. We'll see what happens as the uh, year goes on. And before we move into notes and news for the month of June, it's also that time, Steve, for the NWA Top 10. And I just want to remind everyone that the views expressed in the following parody of the NWA Top 10 are solely those of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and do not in any way represent the views of the WrestleCopia brand or any other third-party entity. And without other way, away we go with the May 89 NWA Top 10. Take it away, not Tony. Hello, wrestling fans. This is not Tony Schiavone. And now here's a look at this month's NWA Top 10 for the month of May 1989. As composed by promoters of the Wrestling Memory Grenade Board of Directors. Number 10 this week is two-time, two-time Jobber of the Month, Lee Scott. And at 9, blink and you'll miss him, it's Johnny and Davey Rich, the Party Patrol. He's still driving tanks and robbing banks. Army Ranger Ross is 8. Coming in at 7, Viva La Raza. It's our first look at Eddie Guerrero. I sure wish they would wipe out. It's the Dynamic Dudes in at 6. In at number 5, nah, nah, yeah. it's Norman the Lunatic. Who says nepotism doesn't pay off? The Raider, the Terrorist. It's Doug Gilbert at number 4. Number 3, she's wandered her way off the set of Saved by the Bell and right into the NWA. It's the lovable, nerdy Rick Steiner fan, Robin Green. It's no coincidence that this guy's number is the same number as taking his shit. It's Steven Eckstead's favorite wrestler, Michael Hayes, in at number two. And he might not be able to crack the NWA top ten just yet, but he'll always be number one here at the Grenade. Number one this week is the one-man show himself, Terry Funk. And that's a look at the May 89 NWA top ten. And Steve, just another fun trip through the NWA Top 10. And, you know, sometimes I feel like our Top 10 makes more sense than the real NWA Top 10. Yeah, that's really not hard to do. <laughs> just looking at the NWA Top 10 list every week, it makes absolutely no sense. So uh, using hindsight and being able to create your own, it's definitely way easier to uh, make it make more sense. But, yeah, awesome job again. But at least their NW, uh, their list of names appear to be evolving and becoming more more credible overall by the time we get to Clash of the Champions. And now it's time for a quick few notes and news as we head into the month of June. According to the Melts, uh, that's his new name, the Melts, uh, the new announced teams moving forward will be uh, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on Worldwide, Lance Russell's moving from Worldwide to Pro, 
Jim Ross will continue to head up World Championship Wrestling with the returning Michael Hayes, unfortunately. And uh, main event, we'll see uh, Lance Russell paired with Paul E. Dangerously. And uh, we'll, we'll see some of those, some of that starting to take shape over the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, I mean, they change these guys like they change underwear, and they move them around to where there's no consistency. I think we talked about this, but, you know, people tuned in to Wrestling Challenge to hear Bobby and Gorilla, and they tuned in to Superstars to hear Jesse and Vince. These guys are changing so often. Like, I mean, when you don't know really what the card's going to be, I mean, tuning in to hear the announcers and things like that is a good thing to have in the back pocket. And when you keep on moving them around like this, it just, it just takes away from some of the benefits of having syndication. So, yeah, um, and th- that's we'll a concern. Yeah, that's a concern for me in syndication, especially because the casual fans flipping through syndication, especially back then when only maybe 50% of, of the states even had the capability of, of getting cable, maybe a little more than 50%. But so syndication was a huge deal back then. And I, you know, I, I know people that maybe they didn't really, they knew what the WWF was and they knew who some of the top guys were and they knew that they wanted to watch the show that Jesse Ventura did the announcing on. Maybe they didn't even know it was called Superstars, but they knew that that show came on at such and such time and Jesse Ventura was going to be, you know, one of the commentators there to make them laugh and enjoy his heel comments and things like that. And here it's hard because one week you're flipping on Pro and Bob Cottle's hosting, and then the next week you flip it on and Lance Russell's hosting. And if you're just a casual fan, you're wondering if you're even watching the same program. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's all over the place. You got Bob Cottle and Kevin Sullivan. David Crockett was in there, Tony Schiavone. I can't really blame them on those. I know, you know, Schiavone left and Crockett got taken off the television. But it's just, it's, I don't know how many times they've already switched announcers on all these programs in the first half year of uh, 89. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Like, people tune in to consistency. And like you said, you may, you think you're watching pro, so you know they hype the match for the next week at the end of the first that week. And then you turn on that channel and it's like, uh am i even watching the same show did i miss the match is this worldwide what's going on like you have no idea so uh that's a great point and it appears it's a a no-go on eddie guerrero as i I don't think we'll be seeing him again in the nwa slash wcw for at least another six years terry funk had handpicked eddie uh, brought him in specifically for that match against him on tv and he tried to get eddie a job unfortunately the roster was just oversaturated with new stars at this point and uh, a bunch more about to debut as we'll see here in the next month or so. Eddie, of course, was also young and inexperienced on a national level and probably needed that, that extra seasoning in order to come back later and really achieve the success and notoriety he deserved. That's unfortunate, but uh, I think it probably worked out for him in the, for, for the better. You don't want to be put on national television and get exposed early on in your career. Like you, you don't deserve it. You can't hack it. So Going elsewhere and getting better and then coming back when you're ready is definitely ideal. Uh, quick question, Steve. Where the hell did Tonga, the Polynesian savage, go? <laughs> I couldn't answer. I know uh, from what I read in the Observer, which I'm sure you're about to get to, he's no longer with us as far as in the company goes. He's still alive, but no longer with us in the NWA. So he came in and worked that 30-second squash and, and he left the company? Yeah, I haven't read that far ahead. I, I wasn't aware he was, at, he was gone. Oh, well, yeah, that, according to Meltzer in The Observer, he said that Tonga was gone before his actual match aired on TV. So, Was there a reason given? Did fired. he piss somebody yeah. off? Or what, what was the story there? That's all he said. Oh, okay. That's all, that's all he said. Well, hopefully and we Tonga figure it out later. before his match if he shows up. That's oh, what he okay. says, and that's it. Might have been because he worked a 20-second squash and finished the guy off with a suplex. But we'll figure out what happens there because... <laughs> because um, 
I know he comes back, he winds up teaming, you know, with the others and, and whatnot yeah. down the line. So we'll see what happens with that. That's kind of interesting. I didn't realize he left after he came in. I've got a few more pieces of news to discuss, but we'll save those for the uh, close of today's show. It makes more sense at that point in the show to cover those pieces of news. So that takes us into the weekend of June 3rd television and off to syndication. It's NWA Pro with Lance Russell and Bob Cottle. Love this duo together. I wish it had stayed this way. I like Lance and Bob both hosting their own shows because they're focal points then, and they both deserve to be focal points. But if I can take them together and that's the only way I can get them, I'll take it. And uh, I really enjoy these guys. They just they have so much respect for one another during the show, and they, they really do a great job taking turns with the promo, uh, the uh, conducting the interviews or conducting an interview together. I just I love Bob being the straight man and Lance more of the, um, not character, because uh, Lance is a straight man as well, but just Lance seemed to have more emotion, sell things a little more. But I, I really enjoyed them together. So it was really cool to see that th- they were here for several weeks in a row anyway. I'll be sad when they're, when they're gone. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love Bob Cottle. Lance Russell is awesome as well. So it's not very often you get two pros like them together in the in the announce booth. So definitely need to take advantage while you can. We kicked the show off here. I don't know if we're still in Bluefield, West Virginia or not. We're definitely in an arena somewhere. Um, Sting takes on Cougar Jay in the opener. Great bumping by Jay here. A- exceptional bumping this week by Cougar Jay, in fact. There's a reason he's a former VIP jobber of the month. Sting gets the win with a scorpion in two and a half minutes. Quick match. So these matches were going a minute to 90 seconds the last few weeks. You said you liked the fast squashes over the extended five, six, seven minutes, minute squashes, which I agree. We don't need those chin locks and arm bars and the squashes, but one minute squashes, barring the roadies or an occasional like high impact sting match here, isn't a one match a little too short? I think the comfortable time for a squash, it's like right around three minutes, maybe three and a half minutes, depending on who's in the ring and. Having every match go one minute, and, and Dusty booked it that way sometimes, uh, but having every match on a show go a minute makes me feel ripped off as a wrestling fan to to a degree. What, what's your comfortable yeah. a period of time in the ring? I just feel one minute doesn't give them enough time to showcase enough moves. Uh, I'm with you. Like I think it depends on who it is. If it's, if it's the Road Warriors, I'm cool with it. They can go in there and destroy those guys in 15, 20 seconds. I mean, they're not going to lose any credibility. To me, like, they get a little exposed taking their time, unless they're just mauling somebody or just, just having fun. They just want to go a little bit longer than normal. Um, that's fine. Sting, he's, he kind of has that same sort of uh, move set to where he can come in and knock that stinger splash and then do the crossbody or the scorpion, and the crowds are going to go nuts for it. And you, you kind of want to keep that crowd hyped, and you don't want to put him to sleep with arm bars and things like that. But I guess it all depends on the show, who's in the ring and what, what exactly is going to be on this show. So if you're going to have a bunch of angles or, you know, segments, interviews, things like that, then you obviously need to get those in. So one to two minute squash matches are okay. Um, but when you do it all the time, I, I can definitely see how you feel ripped off. So I'm with you three, three to two and a half, three minutes. is probably my max. I, I'm of the belief, like I've, I've said it numerous times. If you, are struggling with the job guy and you let him get some offense in and things like that, then what are you going to do against another name, name opponent? Uh, that's just how I feel. So right. um, I, I prefer it better when they're actually going in and taking these dudes out relatively quick, because back then you had to pay to see these guys work against each other, like, you know, name versus name. And you had to pay to see that. And I don't, I wouldn't want to be cheated and paying to see something like that. And then they go on TV and wrestle six minutes with a jobber. 
and then they go 10 minutes with, let's say, Sting and Butch Reed. Right. Like, I, I don't feel like I paid for something that, that is worth it if I, I can get it for free on TV with a jobber. I mean. So the show moves along. We get a dynamic dudes. Don't worry. Be happy. Bobby McFerrin video there. I, I, is this the Jazzercise one again? Is this the same one? Or is that another one? I, I, I'm confused at this point with what the hell the dudes are doing in these videos. I think they've moved on to the Jazzercise one. I, I, don't, I haven't seen the pizza and uh, skateboard one in a minute. So I All think right. that one's already gone. Up next is newcomer Ricky Santana taking on Rick Connors. Kevin Sullivan, for some odd reason, joins commentary for this match. He spends the entire match talking about the Flair versus Funk feud, and uh, they further the uh, Terry Gordy taking out Dr. Death in Japan angle, Dr. Death's babyface turn that took place in Japan and in some mysterious world that, you know, alternate universe. And Kevin Sullivan basically paid off Gordy, which is just an odd name because Spivey's over in Japan right now, too, I, I believe. So why not tell the story that you paid off Spivey, who, who was at least a part of the varsity club, but it, it was, I guess they want to set up the Gordy and Dr. Death feud. Why Doc's not coming back for Sullivan? I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that's, that's what goes on during commentary during this match. And we get Ricky Santana against Rick Connors in the ring. Connors is back. Uh, we saw him several weeks ago against Eddie Gilbert on world championship wrestling way back in the studio. Um, that's what when Connors was uh, afraid to take the hot shot, he, he botched it a couple times in a row before Gilbert just gave up and, and pinned him. Connors is a veteran uh, of the job guy role from Tennessee. Um, worked a lot of the outlaw promotions and stuff down there too. Definitely well past his prime. I didn't even know he was yeah. still working in 89 until we saw him against Eddie a couple months ago. So Lance goes deeper into Ricky Santana's life story here this week. His parents left Cuba when uh, Castro took over, they headed to America, and the family all became American citizens when, when Santana was two years old. He grew up in Florida, was raised in Florida. I like the personality profile and trying to get people, giving people like a backstory that you maybe you can relate to or appreciate, a reason to get behind them as a person and not just a wrestler. A feel-good story here for Santana, who I always thought could have been more than he was, especially in a place like the NWA where it's more about wrestling. Unfortunately, this match was nowhere near as interesting as Ricky's life story. <laughs> lots of arm, yeah, lots of arm bars. Connors can't really keep up in the ring anymore. He's he's just not where he needs to be, and it was not a good way to get Ricky to look good because Ricky was having issues with the timing because of Connors and Santana wins the match with a flying forearm. Sort of, they were out of position, and he kind of kind of just jumped up and whacked him with a forearm and. Santana got the pin in about three minutes, 36 seconds. And it seems like all the Hispanic wrestlers have to do the flying forearm. Manny did it, the flying burrito, Tito Santana, obviously. Now Ricky Santana, not very creative, but Tito and Manny did have some awesome looking ones anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And not stereotyping or anything, but he does, in the ring, like he works a lot like Tito Santana. Tito had a lot of arm bars and rest holds, and, but he has that fiery comeback and things like that that we see, I think, later on this week. Uh, the story's cool. I like the story, uh, the backstory. Uh, is right. it true? Is it yeah. actually true? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's even better. Um, and I kind of wish they would do this more for other guys. That, like, Ricky Santana is really the only guy I've seen them do it with so far, and I don't know if they do it. Maybe Ranger Ross a little bit, um, but not not nearly as much because that dude died a slow death uh, as far as his NWA career goes. Very believable, very awesome. I mean, it's a great story. and It's easy to get behind somebody like that. They've been struggling and fighting their whole life to get where they're at, and that's going to just pay off in the long run. So we'll see where it goes with Santana. I'm not expecting much, but uh, he's pretty entertaining outside of the rest holds. Moving on to 
Pedicino knows, and we get a clip of the Terry Funk and Brad Armstrong match that we mentioned on last episode of the Grenade from the NWA main event. Uh, we see Funk once again pile drive Brad Armstrong on the floor. Once again, another stretcher job for Funk. I'm still looking for that match. I know it's only a five-minute match, and we saw the finish here, so people might say, what's, what's the use of seeing the rest of the match? But Funk put on a hell of a match with Eddie Guerrero in five minutes, so I'd like to see what he did with Brad Armstrong as well. If anybody has this match out there, I'd love, to, love for you to share it with us. We move on. We get an update on Ric Flair. The injury is shown once again from WrestleWar, Funk doing the pile driver on the table. Last week, we heard from Dr. Ostoanek in an interview. Now, an update on Ric Flair coming back. And again, another Dr. Ostoanek interview here. And he says, only time will tell. At this point, he doesn't want to give timetable of Ric Flair's return or when or if he'll return. So that's where we're at as far as Ric Flair goes. And then uh, Lance Russell brings out Terry Funk. Terry Funk responds to the Dr. Ostoanek video. And here's what Terry Funk had to say. Well, of course, there's been a lot of conversation about the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. Here is the man who is responsible for the condition he's in, Terry Funk. You know, there's some courageous athletes in the world today. Joe Montana is one of them. After three weeks after back surgery, he came back into professional football. Unfortunately, the NWA champion is not a courageous athlete. But I will admit, like the doctor said, that his neck is injured. But what I want to know is where is Ric Flair now? His neck is injured, but his legs aren't broken. Why isn't he confronting me? I'll tell you why. He is at home right now, hiding underneath his bed every time the doorbell rings, crawling into the closet. That's where this man is right now. He's crawling around. Well, why doesn't he call crawl back into his own past? And when he does turn the lights on, what does he see? He sees his worst nightmare. Rick Flair, call 911 and be rescued from total fear. <laughs> yeah, very funny in there. The kind of comments that we would expect oh, out of Terry Funk. It was so funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would expect anything. I'd like to see it happen to you right now. We're going to get away something more pleasant. Just another solid promo from Funk. And I just wish Lance Russell was the interviewer every time Terry Funk talked because Lance enhances Terry Funk's promos so much. Yeah, he doesn't. Lance just acts like he can't stand him and he hates him for what he did to Ric Flair. And uh, he plays it up every single time he talks to him. And it, it really has enhanced. Like his promos seem boring with Jim Ross compared to what they are with Lance Russell. Seriously, it's that much of a difference. And we go into commercial break, and this is probably the only time I'm going to bring this up. I don't want to keep tabs on this nonsense, but apparently A&W is now a sponsor of the NWA. A&W Root Beer, Cream Soda. This is A&W Cream Soda in the Slam Line, a 900 number for A&W Cream Soda. Yes. Call costs 50 cents. What the flying fuck? King of the Slam, vote yes or no on Lex Luger and the Torture Act. What are we voting on exactly? Like, I don't even understand. Like, vote yes or no. Vote yes or no to what? And I'm paying you 50 cents for what? How much money do you suppose they made off this shit? Like, $1.50? 3 bucks? Like, what was the point of this? I have absolutely no idea, man. I know WWF did something like Mountain Dew Slam of the Night, but it right. was just like using Mountain Dew to hype uh, a wrestler in their move. Sure, and, like and, and you it's saw like that repeatedly. 
Yeah, and you saw yeah. that repeatedly both in the WWF and NWA uh, throughout the late 80s and early 90s. That was a big thing for sponsorship. Um, the slam. Mm-hmm. I think they still kind of do that to this day every once in a while. Um, the whatever of the night or the whatever of the week or whatever. But yeah, I've like never seen one. I've week. never seen one yeah. incorporated with a 900 number before. No, totally. I haven't either. I, I was shocked. I'm like, what the hell is it? Like, you got to pay to vote, and what, what's what's the winner get? When's the I don't even know what you're now? voting on. Like, it's not Lex. You're yeah, not voting on. Voting? Yeah, yeah. So vote yes like, or no. The, who's the? And here's the other thing too. You have no idea the competition. You like vote on Lex Luger. Okay, well, who's he against? Like, yeah. if it's Lex Luger versus Butch Reed, uh, yeah, Lex Luger, yes. But if it's Lex Luger versus, let's say, Sting. Ric Flair, okay, yeah, it's a little different answer there. So, like, you have no idea what the hell you're even voting against. This was terrible. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what you I get out of voting. Ryan is saying, so. yeah, lose fifty uh, cents. That's what you get. So we move on from Lex Luger in the A and W Cream Soda contest to Lex Luger in the ring against Keith Hart, and uh, we get Michael Hayes joining commentary now, which makes sense. Hayes stole the belt from Lex Luger at Wrestle War. I haven't seen Keith Hart in a while. Always good to see him out there as a job guy. Luger calls out uh, Hayes. Uh, Lex is pissed. And poor Keith Hart. Lex no-sells everything he does. Clotheslines him, presses him, power slam, torture rack. Matches over in a minute and a half. And Teddy Long's out there scouting on top of it. Yeah, you see Long everywhere. It doesn't matter who's in the ring. He's out there all the time. But, uh, yeah, Luger's starting to see that show that intensity, that heel side to his character where he just doesn't give a shit about anything. And all he wants is his belt back. Yeah, isn't this the one where they have like a really nice long stare down between Hayes and Luger? Like Hayes threatens to get in the ring and stuff like that. So this was kind of the match was only a minute and a half, but it was out there a good five, four or five minutes because of the Hayes stuff. Decent little segment there to get us ready for what happens next week. Uh, we get a replay of the Jim Cornette promo from last week's main event. So nothing to see here. Moving on to uh, this is a big match. I mean, at least on paper. Former world champion Ricky the Dragon Steamboat taking on Hacksaw Butch Reed. Battle the guys who quit the business after WrestleMania 4 and uh, didn't come back until January 89 in the NWA. How odd that two different guys did this. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, Reed is still somehow number five in in the NWA top 10. And um, Teddy Long back out again. He's scouting Butch Reed. I've never seen anyone scout someone for this long. Either hire Butch Reed sign him under contract or, or stop scouting him. Because if you haven't made up your mind by now, then, then maybe you should move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. It's a, it's really high impact match. A lot, a lot of up-tempo stuff early on. Steamer gets thrown into the crowd and everything was good until the chin lock. Then we got a little chin lock in there, but it was, it was a good match. Steamboat made a comeback, tries to, he, uh, Reed tries to throw Steamboat over the top rope, which would have been a disqualification. So lucky for him, Steamboat maybe. skins the, Skins the cat back inside, but Reed actually pops him with a punch as soon as he gets back in there, and Steamboat still takes the bump to the floor. And I don't, I don't understand the point of the entire spot with, if Steamboat was going to end up on the floor anyway. He loved doing that. He loved skinning the cat back in and getting knocked back out again. Butch Reed pops Tommy Young at, at this point and uh, tosses Steamboat out of the ring again, shoves Young a second time, shoves Young a third time. I'm wondering what the hell's happening at this point. Takes a fourth time to shove Tommy Young before he gets disqualified seven minutes into the match. Yeah, it should have been done after the first one. I mean, we've seen plenty where Tommy Young gets tossed down and he calls for the DQ immediately. He just goes back to they enforce the rules whenever they want to. Um, I mean, I, I think I'll give anybody a pass in one, especially just a shove. I'll give anybody a pass. Maybe the referee tripped the second time, the third by the third time. I was like, what the hell's going on here? It took 
took Reed yeah. to physically assault Tommy Young four times before he got disqualified. Seven minutes to get to a disqualification. I was kind of excited to see if Steamboat would, would be the one to get Reed to really work and put on a good match finally. This was definitely some of Reed's better work since he's been back. Mm-hmm. That covers that covers you know over five months, uh, but it still left a lot to be desired. Still, it was okay for TV. Finish sucked, uh, but we learned right after the match that Steamboat has requested a rematch for next week. So whatever, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I thought this is the best Reed's look. He looked a lot better compared to Shy Town Rumble. So I mean, that's not hard to do. But yeah, oh, with yeah. you, man. Reed's not Reed's not looking good, but that's about to change, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's more than just uh, knocking off some rust. I mean, he's more than five months into the company here. He needs to get with the program, and maybe something will change here shortly for him to I think the, to aid him the with problem that. Is, yeah, I was going to say the problem with that, he's had nothing to work with. He's not been in any feuds. He's been working jobbers, and he just gets these random big matches every once in a while. I mean, that's probably that's going to be difficult to, to even knock that rust off, even though you're working. It's different beating up jobbers compared to – being in a feud with somebody and having pretty long matches on the on the house show circuit. So he's had nothing. He's been given nothing. We close the show with a Sting promo, but Sting doesn't get too far into the promo before he's uh, interrupted by Terry Funk, who seems to think he owns all of these shows, and I'm not complaining. So I'm going to play that promo for everyone right now. We'll talk about it on the other side. We have the world TV champion. Hey, Hey, Terry, will you leave us alone out here? Wait a minute, Lance. I want to say one thing. Yo-ho, Ric Flair, we know you're out there. Yes, we do. We know you're watching tonight. And I would like to pay your way round trip here next week to the newest extravaganza in wrestling, the Bimbo Bass. That's right. Ric Flair is the Bimbo, and I'm the basher. (laughs) You know, Lance, you know what I'd like to do, though? is I would like to sincerely go ahead and tell Ric Flair that we wish him well, and I know you do too, and I'm sure that uh, you do too, Sting. <laughs> you know, what, what is your name anyhow, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what is your first name? Is it B, you know, B Sting? <laughs> just leave us alone. Or is, it, Let us or, is it, or is it Ray, you know, Sting Ray? No, Lance. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding you. You know, I know that you are the world's television champion, you know. <laughs> what do you do? Have a have a belt that goes around your waist with a TV on it, you know, a Motorola or a Zenith? <laughs> okay, you see the belt. No, no, no. What are you going to be next, the uh, world's washing machine champion? Right. Are you going to have yourself a Maytag? Are you going to get yourself a Lady Kenmore and uh, maybe with your brains you could go ahead and, and take it to the uh, take it to the theater every Saturday night? Very funny. Very. No, I'm funny. just kidding you, Sting. What I want to do is I really want to be, shake your hand and become your friend. Let's shake hands. Come on. Whoa, hey, 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 hey. We're out of time. We got to get out of here. Our time is up. Hey, come on now, you guys. Hey, hey, And a wild way to end the show for probes. It really uh, had you had you on the edge of your seat as the show's ending. Funk making fun of Sting. Then he offers to handshake him, only to slap Sting across the face. And then Sting's ready to go. But we're out of time, says Lance Russell. Good way to close the show. Very exciting. 
Yeah, absolutely. It makes you want to tune in next week to watch it and find out what happens. Um, it makes you want to continue to watch the rest of the shows, too, for the rest of the week. But yeah, great, great stuff there from uh, Sting and Funk. And now over to Worldwide for June 3rd, we got Jim Ross hosting all by himself. Blah. Um, show kicks off with dynamic dudes over Deke Rivers and Joe Kazana. Jim Ross mentions Dr. Death is attacked in Japan once again. So they're making sure they get this storyline announced on every form of TV throughout the weekend. Unfortunately, it didn't even really happen. There's no footage to prove it. But at least they're trying to make sure that it's mentioned on every episode so that no matter what you're watching, you're at least made privy to what's going on over there in Japan. Uh, Deke Rivers is another guy like Rick Connors, a Tennessee area guy. Did a lot of jobs, but also like Connors past his prime. I use that term loosely. Well, well past his prime. Kazana also a Tennessee boy, just getting started. His grandfather used to used to be the Knoxville promoter before selling to Ron Fuller back in the seventies. Teddy Long scouts here, so either Teddy Long scouting Deke Rivers and Joe Kazana or the Dynamic Dudes. Either way, I don't get it. You're right. He he apparently does scout everyone. Double <laughs> slingshot back suplex. The wipeout ends it. Probably their best match so far not saying a lot but probably the dude's best squash so far they get to win in about two minutes 13 seconds we get a replay of the sting and funk confrontation from pro I'm, uh, wise choice to i would put that on every show the weekend is really exciting so good call there throwing that on worldwide into a lex luger match taking on steve casey technically both baby faces here jim ross announces luger will get his u.s title shot here next week on tv steve casey gets some stuff in but he, he does a spot where he hurts his ankle, landing on a leapfrog, takes a bump, uh, drops down, crumples to the mat, and uh, sells the ankle injury. He sells it pretty damn good. Took him all, all the might in the world to finally get himself up to his feet, and Lex seems to think about it for a moment, but then he just knees uh, Casey in the back. Just a nasty knee. Looked like Casey wasn't even expecting it. Like, bent his, bent his back awkward, just drilled him into the ropes with a knee to the back and um, puts him up in the torture rack. Gets the win in 2 minutes, 20 seconds, so... We see this new attitude, Lex Luger. I like it. This is the Lex Luger that works the best for me. The babyface stuff, I'm not buying it. Uh, he looks too good to be like that, uh, to be honest with you. like He's a conceited a-hole, and he, asshole, and he play, plays that better. And that's the, the gimmick and things that I like for Lex Luger. So, uh, And I know a lot of people like crap on kind of what happens later on, but... Like if you've seen all this, it makes sense on what happens. But I guess we could talk about that next week. I always just thought he just turned out of nowhere, but obviously that's not the case. No, they did a pretty decent job here building this up. And there's, yeah, you're right. There's, there's more good stuff coming leading into the clash. But uh, we go down to Petticino Nose, and they discuss Dan Spivey, and um, apparently he's now being managed by Gary Hart. Uh, we'll see if that even comes to fruition. Supposedly Spivey's over in Japan learning a new hold. I don't even know if we'll, we'll end up seeing what that was supposed to be because um, by clash time or certainly right around clash time, we play musical managers and a lot of booking ideas seem to have changed and got altered. And it like I said, it was musical managers for a lot of talents that were getting ready to get a push or get, see some changes in their character. Um, so we'll get to that later on though. We get a replay once again of Ric Flair's doctor speaking, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, he's coming back. So I won't bore you guys with the details. And it's time for a worldwide promo with Terry Funk, and we'll, we'll listen to that right now. Let me say something, Ross. I don't doubt the doctor's synopsis of what's wrong with Ric Flair. All I am questioning is how bad is the injury. You know, courageous athletes 
are strong enough to come back. But evidently, the National Wrestling Alliance does not have a courageous champion. He is lacking in something. Maybe his neck is not that bad, but he has a stomach problem. He lost his gut. He has a back problem. He's got a yellow streak down his back. I've insulted Ric Flair every way I possibly can, and he still is not around. You know, if I called you a fat, overbearing, obnoxious slob, you know what? Would you even fight me? If I called you a fat, overbearing, obnoxious slob, wouldn't you fight me? Wouldn't you fight me? Whose wife wants to wrap her arms around me and squeeze me gently? You would even fight me, wouldn't you? Well, take your best shot, Jim Ross. Oh, do you see? Jim Ross and Ric Flair have something in common. No guts. Well, I'm not even... That doesn't even deserve a dignifying remark. Spoiler alert, Jim Ross does not get into it with Terry Funk here. He wisely just <laughs> lets the Funker go and... Case in point, Lance Russell's back and forth with Terry Funk throughout the entire promos, and he's always got something to say. And Jim Ross just remains silent, lets Terry do all of the talking, then Ross will get a sentence in at the end. So he doesn't play off Funk very well, and it's like Funk can be out there by himself when Jim Ross is conducting the interview. Lance Russell just enhances it so much. And it's very obvious after listening to that promo compared to the Lance Russell promo from the episode before. Yeah, all this stuff with Lance Russell, even like with Sting in that segment, like he's going in. Even like as soon as he slaps him, like they're going, he's in it and he's enhancing it. It's almost as if Jim Ross is afraid to say something to him. And I guess it's uh, there's two different ways you can look at it, like that. You know, Ross is maybe just intimidated by Terry Funk and getting him heat that way, whereas Lance Russell's like, you're out of control and somebody needs to call you out for it. So I prefer the Lance Russell method for 100% because it just enhances Funk even more to me. Up next, it's Great Muda taking on two guys in a handicap match. I believe it's uh, Johnny Meadows and I think Tom Pittner here. More mention of Gary Hart as he's at ringside with Muda here. Uh, more mention of him managing Dan Spivey coming up here shortly. Um, big pop for Muda's Mist here this week, and they never tried to, to cancel out the Mist. They never told Muda to ixnay on the Mist, so... They saw what was getting him over, getting the babyface reaction. He continued to do all this stuff. I'm not complaining, but uh, he was never made a babyface. So drop the ball or, or whatever happened there. You know, you can blame Gary Hart. You can blame Muda a little bit for listening to the wrong person. You can blame the NWA for not sitting him down and having better correspondence with him and discussing his future and, and signing him to a bigger contract. Because I said it, I think, an episode or two ago. You dropped the ball when you let this guy walk away. Uh, Muda... With a win here, just a spinning back kick to the chest gets the win in a minute and a half. And I think I think this was an audible by Muda because the job guys didn't know what the hell was going on here. They were completely out of position for most of the match. Looked like they uh, Muda just had had enough and just put an end to it. Just uh, nailed one of them with a spinning back kick and made the cover and got the hell out of there before he got himself hurt. These guys just, they weren't ready for Muda-style wrestling. Uh, absolutely not. It was a little sloppy. Uh, he's had a couple matches lately where it's been sloppy, and it's not him. It's it's his opponents, like you said. They're just not ready for oh, it's a, yeah, a it's just match. A, yeah, it's just a different level of wrestling that they're just not capable of, of reaching that that level. And, um, yeah, so it's they need to pick certain guys for Muda to work, and these guys aren't it. 
And we learn next week. Shame you can't work uh, Lee, Lee Scott every week. Every week. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't know if Lee Scott would be happy with that. I guess he would. He, he doesn't seem to mind taking those bumps. But we learn we're going to see our very, no, not our very first, our second Oriental Torture match next week here on Worldwide. We already saw one on World Championship Wrestling on the last episode. Jim Cornette promo, this time from World Championship Wrestling. So Cornette's not cutting promos for syndication just yet. He's They're using the TBS promos at this point here on syndication. We move into a match with Eddie Gilbert with Missy Hyatt. Taking on Jack Victory with Pauly Dangerously. The aisle's so narrow. I don't know if you watched, paid close attention. The aisle's so narrow, and I took screen caps of this. The baby faces get the Miss Elizabeth treatment. And what I mean by that is Missy is surrounded by security uh, to keep the fans off of her. And, and the fans are still all trying to get all up on her. And she's not, you know, if you ever watch Missy during these introductions, the one thing she's doing is she has this beautiful, gorgeous smile all the way to the ring. And if you watch this entrance, this girl's like, get me the hell through this as fast as you possibly can. And she worked up a smile right, right at the end, right before she got in the ring. She finally worked up a smile, but I grabbed screen caps yeah, of this. I'll throw up. Yeah, she was scared or not thrilled, <laughs> but this, for some reason, this, yeah, this aisleway was very, very narrow. And so she got the Elizabeth treatment. Teddy Long joins commentary in this so. match. What's that? I was just going to say rightfully so. I mean, those guys... That that aisle was smaller than anyone I've seen, and it looks like it was like in a high school gym or something. This building, and it, it looked yeah. hot as hell because there was people sweat in there. All, like as soon as they hit the ring, they were like looking like Ultimate Warrior running down there. That's how hot it was. It had to be uncomfortable, and then all those perverts trying to cop a feel. I'm sure pissed me off too. Oh yeah, uh, we get Teddy Long on commentary during this match, and so that seems to be a trend at least for this week on both shows. Is having random heels uh, in particular, basically cutting promos during matches that have literally nothing to do with them just to get them on the show. Jim Ross makes a comment here, and he makes these comments from time to time, just out of, out of the blue. There's nothing provoking him or no backstory or reason for this. He just, I don't know where he says, he thinks Missy is uh, hotter. Was it then hotter than Polly Dangerously? I don't really remember how he worded this. Yeah, but, he, he uh, Missy's that, hotter than uh, Polly unless... You come from the inner city of San Francisco, and then who knows? Is that is that about how he worded it? Yeah, um, pretty much. He's basically saying that Eddie Gilbert had a hotter ring attendant than Jack Victory did here. Right. Paul Lee was talking out with Jack Victory, which doesn't make any sense. He hasn't been with Victory in a while. But, yeah, and then he just starts bashing San Francisco, and I'm like, man. <laughs> and that's not even the first time Trying since we've been out. doing this. Yeah, this might be the second or third time I've heard Ross do the old San Francisco bit here. Just uh, in the five months we've done so far. He's been listening to Jesse Ventura. (laughs) (laughs) And and I always love how Jim Ross always speaks like only men are watching the program. So Missy's hotter unless you're from San Francisco. Not Missy's hotter unless you're a female fan who likes men. Then maybe Paulie is hotter. He doesn't even look at it from from that perspective. So Jim Ross is clearly a sexist and a homophobe here in 1989. 1989 Jim Ross, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Kevin Sullivan comes out early on in here, and he he hits Eddie in the ribs with some foreign object, and uh, he gets into it with a fan. He he literally jabs something in Eddie Gilbert's ribs up on the apron, drops down, and looks like he's going to get into a a legit physical altercation with a fan at ringside who who took exception to Sullivan's interference. Eddie sells the ribs really good. Kick and punch crap from victory as usual. 
Polly dangerously winds up tripping Eddie Gilbert during a, a body slam and Eddie sells the knee. Missy trips Jack Victory in return, but the camera completely misses it. So we hear the bump, but we don't actually see it. Uh, Jack clotheslines Eddie over the top rope. Nice uh, bump by Eddie Gilbert to the floor. Gilbert slides over a suplex. Jack tries to suplex him back into the ring and Eddie does the slide over to land on his feet, but he lands hard on his knee and, and seems to jam his knee immediately. And he goes down and you can see he was trying to cradle and it, you could see that uh, it looked legit to me. Tommy Young immediately goes to check on him and you didn't see referees checking on guys all that often back then. And you can see Jack visibly lean down and speak with Eddie because the finish appeared to be Eddie sliding over the super, uh, the suplex and doing a cradle. But when he went down, Jack leans over, seems to have some kind of communication with Gilbert. And then they just go into a finish where Eddie blocks a body slam and turns it into an inside cradle to get the win in seven minutes and 20 seconds. And I'm thinking this has to be the match where Eddie blows out his knee. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I knew he did it. And then shortly thereafter, like they must've filmed this a while ago because it was already selling like he was on a cruise. I think it was last week on world championship wrestling. So they knew it was coming and just hasn't, hadn't aired yet. And I think Meltzer mentioned mentioned it in the observer talking about how he blew out his knee and this is when it happened. Yeah. It it didn't look good. He, He crumbled. You can definitely tell, like, the guys in the ring working with him were definitely concerned because it kind of just stopped for a second. I mean, they did good covering it, but you could tell the action was kind of slowing down and stopping for him. Right. And we close the show with a Michael Hayes promo, and he it's basically selling who will be the new third Freebird. Obviously, Terry Gordy's in and out of Japan, so they need another full-time Freebird to team up with Michael Hayes here. He's teasing who it'll be. Originally, they had announced, like, it was going to be announced on World Championship Wrestling, but they apparently changed their mind and we're going to find out at the Clash. He he mentions that 7-Up line again. And you had asked me about this several episodes ago. When he says, what is it, Lex Luger's like 7-Up? He's never had it and never will. I This time I did a Google search. And I looked it up and it was right there in front of me all over YouTube. And I just, I guess I'd never realized this was the second part of the slogan because... I had always remembered 7-Up for the crisp and clean with no caffeine line, but the next line after that is, never had it, never will. And that's where Hayes got that from. The only issue with that is, that's a that's an old line. That's a, that's a late 70s, early 80s line from the old 7-Up guy, which I also remember because his laugh used to scare the hell out of me as a kid when I would hear it like at four or five years old on the TV during the commercials. Is he was a very, very deep-voiced man, that Darth Vader voice. <laughs> Yeah, so that's where it came from. It really was a 7-Up slogan. It's just that I, I didn't remember that part of it until I actually looked it up and, and watched it on YouTube. Well, so, at least we know for going, for going forward. Appreciate yeah. the, the history lesson there. Yeah. And I, I'm disappointed in myself because I, I know I know my uh, retro era stuff, my 80s stuff pretty damn well. I don't know how that slipped past me. But I digress. And we move into the night and World Championship Wrestling for June 3rd. Jim Ross is now here with Michael Hayes, his co-host once again. Show kicks off with Ron Simmons versus Ranger Ross. And, oh, no, I thought Byron Scott had left after Wrestle War, and I see him back here now. So he's still here. I thought he was gone. That's, that's upsetting. So here we have Simmons and Ross, and, and because, of course, Ranger wants some revenge. I mean, it's, this is common sense booking. You notice Rhubarb Jones mentions this. If you listen to the announcement, he, he says... This match is being held because of what happened earlier in the night. 
So he's giving away that more than one episode was taped at the same time, even though Jim Ross is on commentary selling it like something it had happened the week before. So rhubarb mess up there for, for continuity wise with the, with the fans at home anyway. Anyways, obviously for those who missed last episode of the grenade, Ranger Ross and Ron Simmons somehow were chosen to be part of the elite eight tag teams for the NW world tag team titles. And (laughs) Simmons basically left Ross all alone in the ring against the SST. Simmons appeared to have signed with Teddy long and walked away from the match and Ranger did the job. And now Rangers here looking for revenge and fucking Ranger just spears Simmons to the mat and goes nuts on him with punches. As soon as the match starts, the exact response you would expect from, you know, what happened the week prior, not just mm-hmm. going out there and doing wrestling holds. Like, you, you know, you see a lot nowadays in revenge matches, like Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio, you know, you, you beat the shit out of his son and you, you, rip, you rip his eyeball out and he comes out the next week hitting six one nines here. This is very legit. I mean, he just spears Simmons goes at him lane and punches good fire by Ranger Ross. Good heat from the crowd too. Teddy long at ringside here for Ron Simmons. But this is like all Ranger Ross. Ron Simmons takes a shoulder bump into the post and goes flying through the ropes to the floor. And it's they're fighting outside. They're back in the yeah. Simmons took a, it was a nasty bump, but it looked really awesome. It was. And yeah, they get back. Uh, they I'm, get back inside, and Ross is just more ground and pounded. I mean, he's laying it in. This is way before MMA. He's mounting Ross, uh, Simmons and just ground and pound. Ross never takes a break, and and thus. As the constant offense continues, he starts to look a little gassed. Um, he never really took a break. And the referee finally has to separate the two in the corner. And Longhand Simmons, some kind of foreign object, look like brass knuckles. Simmons nails Ranger with it for the win in six minutes. And if, if that match went, match went six minutes, Ranger Ross easily dominated five minutes and 45 seconds of it. I love this. It was a fun match for TV. Uh, does this belong on pay-per-view? No, but this makes great TV. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fun. This match was awesome. Uh, this is the best Ranger Ross has looked. You can see there's some potential there with him. He, he can get the the fire going. He can get that fiery character going, and uh, he's believable. I mean, you can do little basic things like this to get a basic TV match. A little heat going into it, it goes a long way. Um, this is perfectly done. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun opener to this show. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I think. I think uh, everyone involved dropped the ball on, on Ross because I think he had a load of potential. Maybe, maybe he got pigeonholed as you like, you know, you always use the word pigeonholed. So I'm going to steal it here for a minute. Maybe he got pigeonholed into this Ranger gimmick. And that's unfortunate because then you become stereotyped into, Oh, well he can only, we can only write storylines that involve, you know, the iron Sheik or some other foreign, you know, evil foreigner, which we're moving out of here, moving into the nineties. Although Vince is moving into it in in the nineties, but Everyone else is trying to move away from it. So we've seen Ross cut a promo. It was basic, but it was solid. We've seen Ross work matches early on. They were basic, but they were very solid. And now we've seen him work, which is a lot more complicated to do, a fiery baby face angle here when you've never really had any reason to do this. This is basically his first time out there doing something like this, and he hit a home run here. So I feel like they should have spent more time grooming this guy. And he could have been something much more to them than just what he winds up becoming, which is basically a another Randy Rose eventually to some degree. Yeah, it's definitely unfortunate. Ricky Santana takes on Joe Cruz here. And during this match, we hear on commentary that the Great American Bash Tour will start on June 22nd. Can't wait till we get to that pay-per-view, guys, later in the month of July. 
Jim Ross selling the, the Ricky Santana story from Cuba here to America by choice, not by birth, says Ross. Really good wrestling from Ricky here. I think this is definitely a step up from the armbar matches we've seen in the past. Flying forearm wins it for Santana in five minutes, six seconds. Ricky tries to rock the cabbage patch dance afterwards. I don't know. I, th- I think there was something there with Santana. I liked him. Uh, just like Ranger Ross, I feel like nobody wanted to take the time to help him develop. Because you go and you hire this guy. He was pretty damn decent here. And really nothing develops beyond this. Well, like you said, why waste time bringing him in if you're not going to do anything with him? I mean, it's just a waste of time. It seems like people don't want to put in the effort to help people. I'm sure there's guys in the back that would, you know, put matches on with them and teach them the ropes. But as far as the booking committee goes, it's just they brought these people in and there's like, you know, what? I don't really want to do anything with you. So tread water until you get tired of it. Yeah, um, it's uh, basically sink or swim. Get out there and get over, pal. Pretty much, yep. Another Flying Brian video here. Uh, he's on his way in. I'm not sure when he debuts, but I know it's coming pretty damn soon. Uh, we get Dick Murdoch in the ring with George South. Bob Orton and Gary Hart join commentary. They discuss hanging Murdoch at WrestleWar. Hart uh, also wisely uses his time to put over Muda, his his real moneymaker, and upcoming matches with Eddie Gilbert and Sting against Muda. Dick Murdoch gets the win here with, with a delayed brain buster in 5 minutes, 15 seconds. Extended squash here because the, the show's a two-hour program this week, and you'll notice most of the squash matches seem to go five minutes or so to eat up a little more time, but I didn't mind it. I thought Dick Murdoch was very, very good out there. So, And it appeared also based on commentary that Orton, you, you had asked me way back when we were doing the WrestleWar watch-along, why have Orton hang Murdoch post-match if they really had no direction afterwards? And I think they kind of explained it here on commentary. The plan was that they were going to continue doing these bull rope matches on the house show loop. So it made a little sense there playing into all the house shows. So at least, at least there was a reason for it. At least we got a reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes sense. Don't waste your time doing something if you're not going to try and make a pay at, payday out of it. So good for them to have them out there. I, I kind of really recognize that once they had Hart and Orton come out to do commentary on this one. So you knew the feud was still going. We go into a pre-tape promo from Teddy Long. He says there's three things he wants the fans not to do. Don't call Norman a lunatic. Don't make fun of Norman. And don't boo Teddy Long. Basic heel shit here. Heel shit 101. Tell the fans what not to do so they do it. So then we go to our third Norman promo. Let's take a listen. Now, first of all, I've got three things that I want to say before I show you people the video on Norman again. Number one is I don't want you people calling Norman a lunatic. Number two is I don't want you making fun of Norman. And number three, Norman and I both don't want any of you people booing me, okay? Now, let's take a look at the video. I used to just take a walk by myself, or sometimes I'd have to take a walk with my mother. Maybe we'd be picking berries or maybe just walking through an apple orchard or something. And no matter where I showed up or where I showed my face, the people always wanted to bother me. They always wanted to irritate me. Some people even wanted me out of town. I didn't want to go nowhere. I didn't do it. I didn't do nothing wrong. I, I just wanted to be myself. Oh. You people, when you go to bed at night, you may be sitting back thinking you got rid of me. You might be happy. You might be going to the PTA meeting or the Little League game thinking I was gone forever because you never wanted me. Well, I'm back. 
you look right at me because tonight, instead of having sweet dreams when you lay down, you think, here I am, I'm back, your biggest nightmare, and I'm going to be going from door to door. <laughs> well, Steve, what did you think? I thought he was better. This one was a lot better than what he's been doing. He got rid of that stupid sound he's been making. and uh, nah, nah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that thing. Um, nah, nah, yeah. You got rid of that. <laughs> and uh, I feel like uh, that when he turned into that character, I felt like he was more believable this time around. And it, he was into it with this one. It felt like anyway. Now if they could just figure out something besides sticking some shoe polish under his eyes, that, that would that would help. That would go a long way also. Uh, I agree. As the promo went on, I thought the last few lines that Norman spoke were a lot better than anything else he's said so far. So at least he's developing. He's getting a little better. He's not great yet, but we'll see what happens. Cause Norman debut debuts at clash of the champions. So not too many of these vignettes left. If, if any at all, that's followed by the NWA top 10 list. We won't even discuss this one. I don't think it's changed from last week. To be honest with you, we get Ricky steamboat versus Trent Knight, And this is from an arena somewhere. This is for some reason, I, this match is not from center stage. We haven't seen a whole lot of Steamboat since the pay-per-view. He's really not on these shows other than a pre-tape or two. So really weird. But Steamboat here over Trent Knight with 3 minutes, 19 seconds with the double chicken wing. Highlights of the feud between the Road Warriors and SST follows. And all this is, this entire feud video package, is two teams beating the living shit out of each other week to week. And it's awesome. This is the entire feud. Two badass teams beating the shit out of each other. That's it. That's the storyline. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean they they don't. There's really nothing that's happened that's really caused them to hate each other, other than the SSC costing them the tag the titles, which I guess that's big. But these guys just beat the shit out of each other. They don't even really have matches. They just get thrown out and they just have fun beating the hell out of each other. I'm sure they loved it. I'm sure they loved working together. The highlight package is followed by a Road Warriors promo, which I grabbed right here. Come on, Swag Team. And what happens to all the other guys that kicked off the Warriors? They put their tail between their legs and they went running. Yeah, you're too big, 300 pound guy. Yeah, but one thing you forget, this is your world. And we don't like living in it, but we gotta live in it. Now we're gonna do our best to get you guys in the ring and shove our fist right down your throat. And you ain't gonna like the way either my brother or myself take. I guarantee you, tell him, Hawk. You know what I like, Paul? I like somebody who can give us a fight. I like somebody who can take a punch and get up again so I can knock him down again. What I like is the SST, because they can do that. But you know the difference between a winner and a loser is? Winners get up one more time than losers. SST, we'll be the winners. You'll be the losers, and SST will stand for super sorry twits when we get done with you. Tell them, Paul. You know, SST, we both play the same game, but we both don't play by the same rules. One, because these two men are from the streets. Two, because you're from the island of Samoa. But gentlemen, and you, Paulie, you're digging a hole that you're not going to be able to get out of. And you know what my favorite sentence in a Road Warriors promo is? Tell him, Hawk. 
because you know something good's about to come up here. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way Ellering in that one. Man, these guys were just perfect together. It was that lightning in a bottle that very few people have experienced. And, man, they lasted a long time. They rode that wave for a while, and they're just so damn entertaining. Yeah, and I was just going to say that when you were talking, and you, you mentioned it yourself now, is that how long it lasted. They never got lazy. Like, they spent the first seven years, for the most part, together, the roadies and, and Ellering, and they never got lazy on the promos. They never got lazy in the ring. They always brought it. They always made sure to give you the best road warriors. And for seven years, man, that's that's a long time. Uh, and I say seven years because that's when they took off to the WWF without Ellering. But, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, here we are six years into their run together and just great promos and, and great work as far yeah. as just beating the living hell out of each other anyway. And I don't want this to sound like a, a knock on them, but you can turn on WCW in 1985, World Championship Wrestling in like 1985, and you're going to get the same intensity, same sort of promo, right. same everything. Like like you said, they did not get lazy. They didn't rest on their laurels. And you know what? We're, we're the top tag team in the world. We're the probably, you know, second, third draws of, of, of all time during the 80s um, as far as drawing power. We can just sit back and chill and do whatever the hell we want. No, they didn't do that. And that, to me, is their that's their stamp on what they did for the business. They didn't they didn't get lazy at all. And that's that's a tremendous um, quality to have and a, a great thing that you can sit back and say, you know what, I did it. I busted my ass for for so long, even though we didn't have to. Just look at all the guys that go to WWF. You can tell. You can see what happens. We head back to center stage now. We get Scott Steiner coming out of the ring. He's accompanied by both brother Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt. And Scotty's taking on Trent Knight this week. And oh my God, how hot is Missy Hyatt here in this outfit? Oh my God. Lovely, lovely Missy Hyatt here this week. And Trent Knight pulling uh, faux double duty because we just saw Trent Knight at the arena there taking on Steamboat. Now he's got Scott Steiner here at center stage and as the Steiners come out, the nerdy fan who will really learn pretty soon is her name is Robin Green. She has a I love Rick Steiner sign, and Missy and Scott sell it really well. It's, they're watching this crush develop between uh, the future woman and, and Rick Steiner. It's cartoony, but everyone is playing their parts perfect, so I guess that's a positive. Even if it's cartoony, at least everyone's selling it exactly as they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Uh... She drew a little Alexa on her hand, and they kissed. <laughs> Alex and Alexa kissed. Uh, Ross, since this is his storyline, Ross is putting it over huge on commentary, and he's selling everything for him. And that that helps. You're going to need it when you're trying to do a comedy gimmick in the NWA. So Ross did his part as well. Not a whole lot to this match. It was fun watching Scott beat the living hell out of night here. Uh, some sick power moves oh, by Scott Steiner here. Just nasty, nasty power moves here. And, Belly to belly gets the win in just over three minutes. He did a reverse running power slam that I've never seen before. <laughs> it's it's nasty. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't remember taking it. I know Rick does it and drives him into the turnbuckle, but he did a legit running yeah. power slam. And it's sick, man. Just it's awesome. That should be a finisher in of itself. But yeah, Absolutely. He, he hits that rolling belly to belly to get the win there. SST in the ring over Deke Rivers and Joe Kazana. Michael Hayes says Deke Rivers looks like Elvis Presley. Two days after his death, and uh, if you if you ever seen Deke Rivers from this time period, he's not too far off. I guess I'll grab a screen cap and, and throw that up on Twitter. 
During the match, Paul E. dangerously on commentary trashes the Road Warriors. Samu hits that second rope DDT, Fatu with the big splash off the top on Kazana. Uh, SST get the win in just over two minutes. Remember a few episodes ago we were discussing if the SST or Muda had the more entertaining squashes? And I said, if the SST would continue smashing pineapples over people's heads, I may lean their way as the most entertaining squashes right now. Well, here you go. Samu fucking smashed the pineapple and it exploded across the face of Rivers. And it was fucking hilarious. I mean, Ran Ryder just exploded into his face. This was awesome and I need a gif of it. (laughs) He did destroy him and Ross... He sold it big on commentary there, too. Uh, just really, really good stuff, man. SST is just awesome. Now, I grabbed this soundbite here. It's it's a pretty long soundbite compared to most of the ones we play. I think it's about three and a half minutes. But it's it's hilarious, and it's more of a, a visual thing that you really need to see. So I encourage everybody to go watch this as well. But what happens next is Terry Funk brings out Ric Flair. No, not that Ric Flair. It's F-L-A-I-R-E a fake Ric Flair, an imposter, uh, basically uh, the, a guy that seems to have giant Baba's body, but on a five foot, four inch frame, kind of, uh, <laughs> the best way I can describe his, his upper torso. Um, <laughs> Funk says something early on in this promo and it gets bleeped on not just the network version, but on the original version as well. So who knows what the hell he said, but he brings this Ric Flair guy out and, um, just proceeds to, and this guy is obviously a plant and he's going along with Funk and he's agreeing with Funk and Funk has the guy take his Ric Flair robe off and the guy has a big yellow streak painted down his back and all of this winds up upsetting Sting who comes out and confronts Funk once again and we'll talk about that on the other side but I'm going to let this play so Steve if you got to go take a piss or something like that while these guys are listening this is a perfect opportunity for you to do so because it's, a, it's about three and a half minute clip, so you guys enjoy though. Just enjoy the goodness of Terry Funk and Ric Flair with the Baba Body. Well, he's here. Ric Flair is here tonight. And I want to tell you people that we should bring him out tonight because he had enough intestinal fortitude to come out here. I'm very proud of him. Let's go ahead and bring Ric Flair down. Yeah. like a woman. Let's hear a Ric Flair scream like a man. Whoa. I guess you just don't have it anymore, Ric Flair. I know your injury's bad, but it's not as bad as you say it is. Is it, Ric Flair? No. It's because you are ill in another way. How are you ill? You have a bad stomach, don't you? Yes. What it is, is you have lost your guts. And Ric Flair also has a bad back. Take off the robe and show them your back. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 
My, what two weeks of hiding in a closet does to a person. My, doesn't Ric Flair look... Now, go ahead and get that robe off. Get it off now and show them what's wrong with your back. Now, turn around. Oh, Ric Flair has a yellow streak down his back. This is ridiculous. This is embarrassing, Terry. You're talking about the world champion of the NWA. Hey, I want to tell you kids something. Don't believe in Santa Claus. And remember, Old Yeller ain't no dog. There is Old Yeller. is Ric Flair without a gun in the world. But hey, hey, hey! I've been standing back there long enough listening to your stuff. And let me tell you something. I got a cold chill going right up my spine, and it makes me sick. I felt like that maybe one other time in my whole life, pal. Let me tell you something else. I think you're the one that's yellow. And guess what else? You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing those people. And you're embarrassing the nature boy. And you ain't got no you-know-what. I'm ready. Uh-oh, it's going to break loose. Funk embarrassed the entire NWA. And Sting could not stand that. He loves these fans in the NWA. And Funk knocking Sting off the apron. That was just uh, a wild brawl to end that uh, entire segment. As fun as the Funk and, and Ric Flair part of the segment was, the Sting part was my favorite part of it because Terry Funk, nobody bumped like this back then. Other than Kurt Hennig, you didn't see anybody bumping like Terry Funk does here. He's bouncing like a ping pong ball, doing backflips over the, the freaking guardrail and just getting tossed around. And This is like three years removed from being in Hollywood and not being a full-time active wrestler and all these other things. And Funk just looks amazing out there. He's, he has me more interested in a Sting and Funk match than, than a Funk and Flair match at this point. Yeah, they're doing a great job of getting these side angles going while, while Flair's, you know, resting his injuries and things like that. Stuff that they can do in just in case um, or down the line, you can always go back to this. Um, so, yeah, really good stuff. Um, Flair was, I mean, Funk was cracking me up. The dude making the woo sounds was hilarious. Um, this this segment was just gold. It, like, everything about it was awesome. Sting was great. Funk was great. The guy that got Flair Rick Flair was awesome. He, he did it perfect. He did what he needed to do. Um, and he got the hell out of there. So, uh, Ross even spoke up some more during this time and actually helped it. Really, really good stuff, man. Just a, just a tremendous segment. And at this point, like I know Ric Flair has been gone, but they've done such a great job. Terry Funk has of trashing Ric Flair. Like you're just excited and can't wait to see what Ric Flair is going to do when he gets back. Um, Funk Funk has definitely held the fort down as far as keeping entertainment on on the television with with his uh, the guy he's feuding with. Not even hasn't even been on TV since the pay per view. Funk's been holding the fort down all by him. It's lonesome at this point. I'm not saying stinging isn't helping, and guys like Muda and things like that aren't aren't helping, but in the world title picture right now, Funk is really doing a great job all on his own. So yeah, it's uh really, yeah. really, really exciting well, stuff. I and, wait I, and I dare say this isn't even the best Funk and Sting brawl yet. We've got another one coming up next week here. 
And we Absolutely. go on, to, we get Kevin Sullivan in the ring, singles match against Tom Pittner. Pre-match, Kevin Sullivan comes over to that nerdy fan who just also happens to be Nancy, uh, his wife. I, I, I think they were married by this point, but... So Sullivan comes over, he rips up the I love Rick Steiner sign, and why wouldn't he? I mean, she's cheating on him, if you know, right? So, uh, But in classic Saved by the Bell nerd-looking fashion, uh, she spends the entire match crying. And there's a, there's a lady sitting next to her, just I, I guess a normal fan, sitting next to her, and she keeps looking over at her and making faces like, this is ridiculous. And I, I grabbed a couple screen caps of it, just the lady's uh, expression as she's watching Nancy sit there and do this, do this fake crying routine. It's... It's classic stuff, but very violent match. Kevin Sullivan just eats Pittner alive. A couple of trio woe uh, knees in the corner, and then three double stomps finally ends it. Match is lucky if it goes three minutes. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, they're furthering the angle with uh, Steiner and Woman by, by having Sullivan go out there and rip that up. And somehow Sullivan's right back into the feud with Rick Steiner. And this has been going on since last year at this point. Yeah, it's crazy. But the, the good part is they the turns and, you know, the straightaways and things like that that they've done, it, it's still fresh, relatively fresh. Like, I'm not tired of seeing Rick Steiner and Kevin Sullivan go at it. It's different reasons each time they're going at it. Like, you know, the TV title at first, the Varsity Club and the First Family. Now you got kind of Rick and Kevin going at it. I think later on we see Mike Rotunda come back and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's still fresh, even though they've been going at it for such a long time. Kudos to them. It's really, really entertaining. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree with that. It, it, they really have kept it fresh and interesting. Uh, I don't know that I really want to see anybody going at it for as long as Sullivan and Steiner has right now. And I'd lie if I said that it was the most entertaining thing on the program because it's not. But at the same time, it's it hasn't worn on its welcome completely yet, which is odd considering you know this has been going on for more than a half a year. So good job by the guys. Up next is a vignette. We get our, a vignette of Scott Hall, who's coming into the NWA, uh, the future Razor Ramon, uh, to the fucking James Bond theme. And it doesn't even match what's going on on the screen. We get the James Bond theme playing as Scott Hall standing in the, in the ocean or, or something with, with a couple ladies. And they don't even try to hide that they're passing this off as some form of, I think they have James Bond confused with, with uh, Magnum P.I., uh, but they have the uh, the telescope lens to start things off. They they got Scott Hall. Uh, they're they're looking for him through a, a telescope lens, like the James Bond movies, and just it's like I don't know what the hell's going on here, or what the hell they're going for. Is he like James Bond because he's not in a he's not in a tuxedo here. He's at the beach. He's on a boat, but he's not he's not driving the boat. They couldn't even have the guy who's driving the boat step aside to make it look like he was driving the boat. He's like standing next to this fat guy who's like they're just cruising down the, the, the lake somewhere. Um, he's on the beach playing volleyball. It looks like a game of pickup volleyball because it appears like the guys he's playing with don't even know who he's, he is. Say, like, hey, yo, I need, I need to play with you guys for this TV show, man. And they're just like, okay, whatever. He's sitting around fishing, so he's playing volleyball. He's fishing. He's on a boat. He's standing in the lake. And then th- this, last, this last part has absolutely nothing to do with anything else that he does in this entire vignette. All of a sudden, he's in, like, the fucking Everglades or something, and he's got a stick, okay? <laughs> and he cautiously walks up to this alligator, and it takes off, and it, like, dives into the water. And I'm just like, dude, that's kind of close. You got a fucking stick. What are you going to do with that stick? And if you pay attention right at the end, if anybody knows anything about gators, how they get you is they, wh- they, they whack you with their, ta- your, their tail to, to trip you up, and then they strike you. 
and he's standing like right at the gator's tail and he's so lucky that it like takes off instead of like tripping him up there but i'm just like this dude's going gator hunting with a fucking stick i i don't know what what the hell this is about i yeah i have no idea what they're going with here absolutely no idea i mean at first you can kind of you know the the stuff looks like he just likes to have a good time be on the beach i don't know what that has to do with james bond and then you go to the gator stuff and that just kind of throws a curveball into everything like what this is what you do in your free time you just go piss off alligators and hope to god you don't get eight like this is dumb and I know, like, coming up, they just cut it to just the Gator stuff. Mind blown. I have no idea what the hell they're doing here. I don't think yeah. they do either. This is a, a far you know, cry from Razor Ramon. Clearly, clearly uh, this James Bond, I, which, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I love the Diamond Stud. But, yeah, that's 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 in future podcasts, so uh, we'll move on. we got a lot more to get into. I will say, do you think, yeah. they're, do you think they're, they shot a bunch of different things? Because maybe they weren't sure what they were going to go with. Maybe, all right, we're going to go to the beach guy. He's a beach bum. Or, you know, he likes to have a good time and fish. Or you could go different ways with what they did. And they just weren't decided yet. So, like, F it, we're just going to fi- film everything. And we'll pick I th- one. I think it was the NWA. And they just. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm giving them way too much credit here. We see the great mood in the ring up against Steve Casey. To, by my estimation, this is the third time he's wrestled Steve Casey on TV, dating all the way back to Clash of the uh, Clash of the Champions match. Um, Casey jumps great mood here to start. Very smart on Casey's part. He's already lost to Muda twice, so uh, I I think that was a good call. Jim Ross mentions they. I don't know if you heard it this time. I, I mentioned this to you several episodes ago when Casey was getting the push. But during this match, Jim Ross and Michael Hayes make mention once again that. Steve Casey is known as Chopper in the locker room. Uh, I still don't know what that's about. I'd love to find Steve Casey online and, and interview him. All I want to talk to him about is Global and the bungee cord match and this Chopper nickname. That's uh, I would love to get a hold of Steve Casey and talk to him about this. Yeah, I think I picked up on it this time. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Well, they claim on commentary that they call him Chopper because he has a lot of guts. Still don't know what that means. Match ends with a what I guess you would call a modified moonsault because Muta seems to over-rotate, and I'm not particularly sure if he did this on purpose or on accident, but he kind of lands at a moonsault knee drop, a perfect moonsault knee drop. And so if this was done on purpose, he, he, you never saw it again. And if it was done by mistake, even when he fucks up, Muta looks perfect in the ring. Just insane what this guy can do. And Muta gets the win here with that modified moonsault knee drop uh, over Casey in about four minutes, 55 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, it looked great. And even Ross, I think it was a mess up, but Ross sold it. Like that's it. He, he, he has a new move. He has a new finisher and he put it over as if it was something brand new that Muda just thought of. You would have no idea that it was a mess up. That's how clean it looked. He, he legit landed perfectly with his knee to the ribs. And then Jim Ross played it perfect. So uh, yeah, just really, really good stuff, man. Muda's is the best. He is the best. So we're coming up on the quarterfinal match for the NWA World Tag Team Title Tournament. It's uh, Butch Reed and Bob Orton taking on the returning Midnight Express. But before the match can begin, we see Dick Murdoch attack Bob Orton at ringside. They go brawling and they fight their way back uh, backstage. And Orton is never heard from again. And this is why. Bob Orton is actually fired here for refusing to do the job to the Midnight Express. At least do a clean job to the Midnight Express in the tag team tournament. He wanted to be tripped up by Murdoch in a superplex spot 
for the finish. And NWA wanted Eaton over clean here because this was the Midnight Express's first match back. And uh, Orton and Reed were just a makeshift tag team. And this is 1989, and you're not the Midnight Express, dude. So this is what we wind up with. So you look like look at it like this. Bob Orton debuted just back on April 1st. We're only in June here now. Uh, essentially, he's gone by the end of May because this taping was the end of May. So he's only here for two months in the, in the NWA. Uh, it seemed as though maybe both as a singles wrestler and in booking logic, Bob hadn't got with the times, so to speak, refusing to do jobs to former World Tag Team Champions in their return, no less, uh, while you're in, in, the, in the makeshift team, like I mentioned. So it, that's pretty ridiculous when you're getting a guaranteed paycheck from the Turner execs. And I'm not saying Bob should be happy to do jobs here, but he's been in the middle of the Murdoch program, and I just don't see how this was going to hurt him doing a job in a tag team match. It's a shame because Bob seemed to be finding his footing in the in the new world, the 1990s. He had all the in-ring fundamentals here, but lacked in personality. He was only in his late 30s, though, so he could still have easily been placed into a tag team with the right partner and thrived. Like, I could have seen Orton and a partner working some great matches with the Midnights while they're still babyfaces. Hell, Orton could have taught the dudes a lot, too, like just working some matches against the dudes, but instead Bob took his proverbial ball here and, and went home. How funny Vince Young booted from the NWA for refusing the job to Bob Orton, and now Orton refuses to do to do a clean job for the Midnights, and lots of these old-school workers uh, aren't working out here with their old-school mentality, refusing to do jobs to the next generation. JYD with Muda, and now Orton here. Yeah, I think he needs to recognize the position that he's in and enjoy the paycheck. You can say whatever you want about the Iron Sheik, but, I mean, he jobbed clean in a minute and a half to Sting, and he's a former uh, world champion. So um, he reckoned, he realized what he was at that point in time, and he was cool to take a paycheck. He doesn't care. Now he's getting paid to sit at home. But, yeah, they should have recognized the position that they were in and just took the ball and passed it on to those guys and moved on. I mean, yeah. even if you lost, you still got the feud with Murdoch to fall back on. You got a house show run with bull rope matches. With the feud that's been, you know, it's been on TV every week, it seems like. And right. it, it got heavily promoted. And I, I get you need the clean win, but I, I mean, Butch Reed's doing nothing. He's about to go under the hood anyway, so I'd not go with him. Where's the compromise? Yeah, and th- I think this is just a case of when keeping it real goes wrong. You know, Orton tried to keep it real, and he winds up never working for a company in a prominent role ever again. So maybe he should have stayed around and, and collected that paycheck for a year or two. Uh, Herb Abrams doesn't count. <laughs> well, I don't know what you. I don't. I don't know how many checks bounce there. So we still we still wind up. Well, we still do wind up with a World Tag Team Title Tournament match here. The Midnight Express return to take on Butch Reed, and there's no Bob Orton. So Teddy Long goes backstage and finds Butch Reed. The the greatest partner he can find is Ron Simmons coming back out for another shot. No. It's the Raider. It's it's Eddie Gilbert's younger brother, Doug Gilbert, in a mask. And Butch Reed is looking to sign with Teddy Long. And this is what Teddy Long brings out to him. If I was Butch Reed, I'd think twice. So <laughs> You're not wrong there either, man. No. And this was great here. The Midnight's return to the NWA. And if you just watch their entrance, man, do they look just genuinely happy and full of energy when they bust out of the curtain even even bob eaton kind of half smiled and jim Cornette just jumped on 
Stan Lane was even glowing. So it was just great to see them like rejuvenated here. You just felt it and, and they were ready to go. I, I got so excited seeing their expressions when they came through the curtain. It had me really pumped for the match. And so we the match gets started. We get the Midnights with some token offense. Butch Reed controls Stan Lane for a little bit. A uh, really good flying forearm there by Stan Lane to get the hot tag off to Bobby. Bobby's uh, an, a hot tag was awesome. He was on fire there on Butch Reed and the Raider. They, uh, Midnight's wind up double closing Butch over the top rope to the floor. Double flapjack on the Raider. Midnight's get the win in six minutes, two seconds. Uh, they'll meet the SST in the semis at the Clash of the Champions. And man, did the Midnight's look good here, even in a short dose. Yeah, absolutely. They got a massive pop, too, when they came out. Their music hit, and uh, the crowd went crazy. And they got even louder when they came out behind the curtain. So they fed off that energy. And then the double flapjack wins it. So, yeah, it's great to have the, the Midnight's back. I mean, they have some decent teams here. Say what you want about the Dynamic Dudes. It's at least a, a legit tag team. That It's not just two random guys throwing together or just two name guys throwing together like an Orton and a Reed. You got the SST, you still got the roadies. So getting the Midnight's back, that definitely helps build up that tag division a little bit. So I'm happy they're back. They seem to be happy they're back. And I'm pretty excited to see where they go with this. And we're moving on to match 10. 10 matches this week on this two-hour program. And it involves the Dynamic Dudes. They get a win here over Cougar J and Bob Emery. Uh, More attempts at double teaming here. Even the old Rockers tandem flip out of the ring to exit the match. Um... Nothing feels natural, but they just keep trying. Match goes about four minutes. They went with the wipeout. My only note in this match was Johnny Ace delivers the Ace Crusher right before the wipeout, which looked kind of cool. Yeah, he nailed it. I was like, whoa, that's cool. That's different. <laughs> For 1989, now you see it all the time, but it's still pretty awesome. Ten matches, it didn't even feel like that, to be honest with you, watching this show. They did a really good job of breaking everything up with promos and funk and that stuff with Sting and the vignettes and stories like they did a really good job of breaking up the 10 matches. It, it didn't even feel like that. So yeah, uh, I, I actually, pretty so. yeah, I mean, I actually thought I, it was a typo. I was numbering the matches as I was doing the show. And when I got to 10, I said, that's not right. And I scrolled back up and sure enough, I counted them again. I go, Holy shit, 10 matches. But yeah. Wow. And we move into the Sunday night program, June 4th, the NWA main event hosts are Lance Russell and Paulie dangerously as the melts had mentioned. We kick things off. It's a match from center stage. It's Terry Funk taking on Johnny Rich. Remember that Party Patrol promo from last episode? Yeah, we still haven't seen the Party Patrol, but we get Terry Funk versus Johnny Rich here. So we get Terry Funk backdropping Johnny Rich to the floor, purposely backdropping Tommy Rich to the floor, and uh, they covered up by saying Tommy Young allowed it because he said good riddance to bad rubbish, and that's how they explain away why it's okay to backdrop someone to the outside because Tommy Young doesn't like Terry Funk. What a, what a great way to explain why the referee is breaking the rules here. Uh, isn't that why Teddy Long just got fired? So this is really getting a bit ridiculous with the rules because they were all over the rules in the 1990s, like all on top of it. And here in 89, it's mm-hmm. it's like AEW world as far as tag team rules go here or something. And, yeah, uh, it's crazy. Like in, in the 90s, you get DQ'd in title matches for going over the top on accident. And now like like, Every single week, Tommy Young's the ref. He's letting shit go. It's annoying. We get Terry Funk here with a fucking sunset flip off the top rope, and it looked perfect. Uh, Rich reverses it, but damn, man, it, it looked great. I wish he hadn't even reversed it. Would have made a perfect finish. And we get a pile driver on the floor. Funk's MO at this point. Match goes about 2 minutes, 41 seconds. Terry Funk continues to dominate. Yeah, dude, this match was so fun. <laughs> it, it was 2 minutes, 2-3 minutes, but man, these guys were... 
it was a hell of a match. It was very entertaining. They were flopping and selling all over the place. It, it was really, really, really good. I would definitely, if you can find this show, just watch this match and Terry Funk's in all his glory. And Rich doesn't doesn't hurt at all. Ricky Santana back in the ring taking on Jack Victory. It's we're coming to the end of Secret Service here. Uh, Lance tells the Ricky Santana story again, uh, coming to the USA at two and blah 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 blah. They're, they're really trying to get that over. They're mentioning it on every episode, every different program to make sure if you missed one and you, you catch another one that you're still hearing the story. So I'm not against it as long as they don't beat this to death week after week after week. I'm I'm cool with the story here. Lots of arm bars by Santana again. Lots of arm bars from Victory here as well. So. Uh, my note here was yawn. Uh, Victory misses a charge in the corner. Ricky Santana with a schoolboy. Match goes about 5 minutes, 40 seconds. Santana seems to be trying to find himself here on the NWA roster. He's a solid mid-card type baby face, but very bland. So just kind of blends into the roster, but he's certainly more than capable to be working here in the NWA. So I don't mind him here. I'd like to see him move away from a lot of the, all these arm bars. But in general, uh, good. Uh, I, I can't say good match, but... Good to see Ricky Santana going over an actual name of some sort here. Yeah, this match was boring. I'm just going to be honest. It was a bunch of oh, rest yeah. holds and arm bars. It felt like a 20-minute match, and it was only six minutes. Because yeah, arm bar slow. city. Yeah, arm bar city for yeah. sure. We go into the main event of the main event. It's the SST taking on Randy Rose and Scott Steiner. This is obviously taped before Rick was back around because this is when they were kind of using Steiner in almost a – a lower card guy. Um, the SST get a heat on Scott Steiner. He gets the hot tag off to Randy Rose. The SST no sell the double noggin knocker, but they sell a double DDT. Rose hits the stroke on Fatu, but Samu hits him with the cell phone. Fatu pins Rose. Match goes nine minutes, two seconds. And poor Randy Rose. How many concussions has he had from this phone at this point? And uh, <laughs> man, are they dropping the ball with Scott Steiner's initial run? Let's push the shit out of the dynamic dudes, but. Shove Scott Steiner into these meaningless matches. Thankfully, Rick, uh, as you already seen from World Championship Wrestling, he'll be back shortly here. He'll be back in the ring here in another week or so. So things should come around from Scott Steiner very soon. Another Scott Hall vignette, same yeah, same um, vignette. I was just going to say, what's crazy is with Scott Steiner going through all this crap that he's gone through, it didn't really harm him at all. Like He's able to recover rather pretty good and still oh, yeah. be Definitely. over Definitely. once Rick came back. So. Yes, Rick Steiner somehow, even out of action, has done more to get, stay over than he did during that first few weeks after that TV title loss. So yeah, he's uh, the Steiners are Steiners look primed for a good good run here. <laughs> Let's see what they do. We move on to the next week, and usually we do this. Uh, we go pro first, then worldwide second, but we're going to go worldwide first because of what happens on the program. That way, we don't spoil it with a clip from pro. So we're going to go to June 10th in NWA Worldwide Wrestling. It's Jim Ross hosting all by him, his lonesome again this week. No Lance Russell, no Bob Cottle, so blah here. We kick the show off with Butch Reed taking on Keith Hart. The ring announcer sucks here. That's one of my notes. Um, he announces Butch Reed as Hacksaw Butch Reed. Uh, just do your job, buddy, and get the hell out of the ring. <laughs> it sounds like that dude from Detroit who introduced the Pistons all those years. Yeah, this this guy was not good. He screws up and he takes liberties in some of these uh, names and things. Just not a good not a good ring announcer. During the match, Jim Ross gets on uh, commentary and takes a uh, mentions Keith Hart, the the job guy here. He says 
he's not from Canada, obviously uh, referencing uh, Keith Hart from the actual famous Hart family. Butch Reed was much more livelier here, more active on offense. It's like he's rejuvenated. Maybe he knows what's coming. Uh, Keith Hart, as usual, we don't we haven't seen him a whole lot yet here in 89, but he takes some great bumps. Ron Simmons and uh, Teddy Long wind up at ringside, and Butch Reed delivers the top rope shoulder block. Awesome shoulder block. Great squash. Two minutes and 26 seconds. Butch Reed gets the win. We get a promo here from Terry Funk. It's actually uh, part of Worldwide, so I'm going to save this promo for Worldwide, and we'll come back to this promo, but it's a great promo involving Terry Funk and Sting. Uh, don't worry, guys, you won't miss it. I actually even have some uh, audio from it. Uh, we'll get back to the matches here, though, for Worldwide. It's Randy Rose and Ranger Ross over Jack Victory and the Raider, Doug Gilbert. Paulie Dangerously joins commentary for this match. Solid teamwork, even if they're polar opposites between Randy Rose and Ranger Ross. They look absolutely ridiculous teaming up here, but Ranger Ross even hits a slingshot clothesline. Randy Rose uh, with a nice-looking forearm. We wind up with a uh, four-way melee here. Heels double clothesline, Rose dives on them, causing them to collide. And I've seen this spot work. Like the Rockers and Orient Express did this at Rumble 91, but the, the Orient Express had a belt. And Sean, I think it was Sean, or maybe it was Marty, I don't really remember, but one of them dives on the belt. It causes both heels to collide, run, uh, get thrown into one another. Here, the heels are going for a double clothesline. And Randy Rose jumps on the clothesline. Instead of breaking their arms or, or separating their hands, is what I mean, uh, somehow that, that sends the heels crashing into one another. The force from it. These guys don't know how to just let each other's hands go. So Rose dives on their hands. Heels collide. The Raider staggers around right back into a combat kick from Razor Ross. Rose and Ross get the win in 2 minutes, 41 seconds. It was decent while it lasted. Yeah, I, I didn't mind this match. It, it was a lot of good offense, a lot of quick tags. And I thought they worked pretty well together, Rose and Ross. They're yeah. polar opposites, but I thought they did well. Yeah. I mean, they looked ridiculous as a team. Got an, ar- an army ranger and just Randy Rose, who looks like he came off a, a, a trailer park somewhere. <laughs> uh, they did as as an actual wrestling team, though. They did mesh very, very well. It's off to Pedicino Nose. It's another SST and Roadies brawl. I think it was actually taped right here on this Asheville show. And back to the ring. It's Scott Steiner led to the ring by Missy Hyatt. Taking on that dreaded Rick Connors. And thank God Scotty wasn't doing this Frankensteiner yet because I would have hated to see Connors try to take that. Steiner to the ring with the hot stuff theme. Here's the inverted power slam again. Belly to belly ends it. 52-second match. And, and Scott Steiner gets the win here. Another impressive quick victory for Scott Steiner. Yeah, I think his uh, short squashes work for him as well. Just his moveset and everything definitely agreed. feeds, feeds into that minute, minute and a half squash type match. He's fun to watch. He's fun as hell to watch. It's an Oriental torture match with the great Muda as he takes on George South, Bob Emery, and Cougar J. I think he. I think his last Oriental torture match, he fought at least two of these guys in that one. And you'll actually find that the finishes, all three finishes in this match, are identical to the original Oriental torture match that we saw. I think it was on World Championship Wrestling. So they must have tried it out here on this taping and. T- filmed it again for TBS, and both of them actually make it to TV. It is what it is. But the rules here are Muda has to pin all three guys in less than 10 minutes, and apparently pinfalls count anywhere because pin number one, Muda pins George South on the floor with a flying plancha outside in a minute and six seconds, and Muda actually gets up and starts to go back in the ring, forgets to pin South, stops, gets back off the apron, <laughs> goes back down and, and covers South to, to eliminate him. Uh, Muda uh, back to the apron up to the top rope, 
Reverse body block into the ring on Bob Emery. Pins Bob Emery only 11 seconds later in, in a minute and 17 seconds. And finally, Moonsault on Cougar J ends the whole match in just two and a half minutes. So Muda didn't need that 10 minutes at all. Very similar finishes, uh, as I mentioned before. So just more great action from the great Muta. Yeah, I think this, I'm with you, man. This was a test run for that TV match on World Championship Wrestling. It all, it all looked the exact same. It's on to Pettacino Nose, and the NWA Top 10 starting to change a little bit. The bottom rung of the Top 10 starting to form into uh, a lot of different wrestlers are, are popping up here on the, on the list now. And Terry Funk has finally cracked the Top 10. He's number 10. He can't be happy with that, but he's already made the Top 10. We also see Dick Murdoch's drop down a few pegs. He's down to nine. He'll probably find his way off the list completely here in the next few weeks. Kevin Sullivan and Eddie Gilbert have also been added to the top 10. They hadn't been on here prior because they were in tag teams or whatnot. So that's part of the bottom four right there of the top 10. So a lot of new names starting to pop up down there. And it really makes the top 10 look more credible with names like Funk, Eddie Gilbert, even Kevin Sullivan to a degree versus guys like Bob Orton and and Ron Simmons. And no offense to Ron, but he wasn't a top 10 player here in 1989. Uh, absolutely not. This is this is one of the ones that looks more credible and more believable. So they're they're starting to figure it out a little bit. Finally, U.S. Heavyweight Championship match right here on Worldwide. Michael Hayes defending against Lex Luger. Match starts off hot. Crowd is hot as hell. Lex Luger with a crossbody early on almost uh, almost gets the win right away. Hayes bumps out of the ring. Crowd is hot as hell. Did I mention that already? Luger misses a corner charge. Hayes with the DDT. Lex rolls out immediately. Like. Hayes drops him with his finisher, and Lex rolls out of the ring. So very smart on Lex's part. Also kind of plays into the heel Lex Luger as well. Hayes wants a count out here because he's champion, so he'll take it. Uh, he might not have been able to pin Luger, but very smart heel work here by Hayes, telling that go ahead and count him out. But Luger finds his way back in the ring, obviously. Hayes gets on top of him. Lex goes head first into the top of the ring post. A lot of punching, a lot of choking from Hayes. There's a giant Luger chant as he hulks up. Uh, Luger makes a comeback. Hits the power slam, goes for the torture rack, but Michael Hayes slides out behind him. Hayes tries another DDT, but Lex bumps to escape. We've seen him do that before. Luger, though, with a big press slam, and then we go into the finish with Michael Hayes. He ducks a clothesline and lands his jab. Luger comes right back again. He wants to go for another big press slam, and Hayes slides out of that, too. Looks like Hayes is trying an O'Connor roll here. Hooks the tights. Lex reverses it. He hooks the tights as well. Lex Luger pins Michael Hayes, regains the title in 5 minutes and 46 seconds. And this shit was hotter than their damn match at WrestleWar. And this is the right length uh, the pay-per-view match should have been. Uh, I think it went another 10 minutes in this on the pay-per-view. So 6 minutes in and out uh, for Luger and Hayes. Perfect amount of time, a lot of heat, and uh, a decent little match. I think this was in West Virginia, right? I think this is the West Virginia TV taping, man, because this building was scorching hot. Not in, like, the crowd was hot, as in the heat was, it just looked crazy. The question I had when I seen this, well, just watching this match again, like, the second time, not not the second time that these guys going at it for the second time, how the hell did they pull the trigger on Hayes winning the title? Like, he just looks out of Lex Luger's league, and I'm not, you could take, just take the wrestling out of it, just common sense. You look at these guys in the ring, and it doesn't even look like he's in Luger's league, and then, the way Luger is working this match, it's shorter, but he's going balls to the wall. And he did, he's so far above Michael Hayes as far as a worker goes. It just made no sense that they pulled the trigger on Hayes winning the belt. I, I don't understand it. Yeah, um, and, and uh, I know what you mean by pull the trigger, but in, in 
normal terms, pull the trigger means getting, you know, you're going to push somebody or you're, you're pulling the trigger on this guy or you're pulling the trigger on this, you know, on this push or whatever. And that really wasn't, that wasn't even their intention. We come to find out here. And that really angers me even more because we sat here and went through this whole Luger and Hayes feud. We had to sit there and watch a 16 minute match. And then they turn around two weeks later on TV on syndicated TV in a five and a half minute match. And they give Luger the title back. And what the hell was the point of that? You could have debuted Gordy without ever going through all this shit. I presume this was more about changing Lex's character than giving Hayes a win, or at least I hope this is about more about Lex Luger than Hayes because you could have debuted Gordy in, in some, any other type of fashion. It means absolutely nothing when Terry Gordy comes in, helps Hayes win the title, and two weeks later he's dropping it back. It, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't do anything for Hayes or Gordy or the Freebirds. It does nothing for anyone. Hell, and like Gordy's been gone. I mean, he's not even been on TV. He came in and they had their their title match for like the tournament, but he hasn't really even been around. So you wasted a, you just hot shot the belt to get somebody in the company. And I'd, I'd like to give the NWA credit and say I think it was more to get Lex Luger uh, to switch up his attitude and turn heel a little bit. But I don't know if they even think that way. So. Uh, I thought it was a very solid match. Like you said, it was short and sweet. Had no time to lull or suck. And Luger cheated. And the crowd still popped super hard for him. But all is right in the world again. Luger's a, what, a three-time champ at this point? Three-time United States champion? So, uh, yeah, it was a good way to end the show. I, I enjoyed the match. It, it was way better than a pay-per-view one because there was so much heat. And we close out the Worldwide with the Road Warriors promo from last week's episode of World Championship Wrestling. And that'll take us into NWA Pro for June 10th. And I believe this was filmed in Asheville, North Carolina. And we kick off the show with Scott Steiner with Missy Hyatt. He's taking on Joe Kazana here. And uh, Scotty does a gut wrench uh, or tries to go for a gut wrench and just drops Kazana face first into the mat. Just, oh, my God, he murdered this dude uh, before Poor before hitting, hitting that rolling belly to belly for the win in just over three minutes. Scott Steiner with the win here. But, oh, my God, did he kill Kazana with that gut wrench, like gut wrench driver. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, no good. That wasn't good, but man, I'm enjoying Scott Steiner matches. Uh, the job guys aren't, but yes, I am as well. <laughs> and it's once again the Road Warriors promo last week from last week's World Championship Wrestling here on Pro, so we'll skip over that as uh, well. And we move into the SST over Trent Knight and Johnny Meadows, the back superplex off the top rope, and then the big Fatu splash inset. So SST get the win there in just one minute and one second. Very simple and basic squash. And it's over to Joe Pettacino knows. He discusses the Ron Simmons, Ranger Ross, Teddy Long fiasco from last week or two weeks ago. Now I'm, I'm losing track of what's going on here on Pettacino knows. It's uh, more stuff going on between the roadies and SST feud highlights. You know, these feud highlights, it's a slight upgrade from the stupid nonsensical contest, the fan contest we've been getting, but this is still not an event center. They're still not really pushing the house shows which uh, I have a little excerpt from the melts I'm going to read before we close the show here uh, in regards to that. And uh, they, it's, it's a very simple process. I mean, they spent years doing localized promos, so I don't know what the issue is here in 1989. And it's time for another Terry Funk promo. And this, this right here may be my favorite of the uh, entire two-week period. Terry comes out. He's cutting another great promo. Uh, he gets into a sting again, and the brawl this time, it makes the other one look like like nothing. And uh, I'm going to let you guys listen to part of the promo conducted by, I think it's Lance Russell, 
In fact, I know it's Lance Russell because he commentates over the brawl. So we're going to listen to Terry Funk and Sting and then let them do their thing and then we'll catch you guys on the other side. What is the issue? That's what I is the issue between myself and Sting or is the issue between Ric Flair? The issue is between Ric Flair and myself. What does the Stinger have that I want? He has absolutely nothing. He has no guts. He has no... Hey, you want to say something to me? You better oh, let go. Yeah, you better go ahead and do it. If you want to do it, do it now. Hey. I cut the audio there, but this brawl actually goes on for another three or four minutes. And I know you guys can't see what's happening. And so if you don't have this, this footage, uh, the, the brawl starts, they're doing the interview almost in the crowd, like behind the, the floor level crowd on the concrete. And the, the brawl starts there and they actually fight through the fans. They're swinging chairs. Terry Funk's trying to pile driver. Sting backdrops them on the concrete. They keep fighting through the fans. They're hitting each other with chairs. At one point, Funk takes a chair and hits himself over the head with it. Classic Terry Funk. They fight all the way up to the guardrail, over the guardrail, over to ringside. They get they get the, the wooden steps. They start beating the hell out of each other with the wooden steps. Terry somehow rips a piece of the wood off the steps and starts whacking Sting with it. It's just a... A wild brawl. I mean, it's classic, great stuff. And I can't believe, and I guess because it was on pro, it's really not out there. It's not like something everyone talks about, but it should be. Yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was excellent. Funk was funk. Sting showed a lot of, a lot more of what he's capable of. I think when he, when he's motivated and he's with a big name and, and things like that, you can clearly see what he's capable of. And Funk's bringing out the best of him. Uh, we, we we discussed it at nauseum, like the first four or five episodes, maybe even six or seven, it seems like, where Sting had absolutely nothing. And now he's been thrown into a couple of feuds, and, and it's been excellent. And um, this was just tremendous. If you have a way to find this or look for it, you know, maybe go to YouTube or something. It might be on there, but this is absolutely awesome. It was it was sweet to see. It's something you don't see on WWF hardly ever. Lance Russell talking over it is just like icing on the cake, man. So oh, good. Yeah. It sickens me to think that Sting sat here for five months doing absolutely nothing. And here he's in simultaneous programs with Terry Funk and the Great Muda and doing an awesome job in both. So uh, great job by Sting and 
well played by the bookers, the new bookers in the NWA. And uh, we get a weird, weird bit of uh, information here from Lance Russell. And at the beginning of the show, he mentioned Ricky Santana would be in action and he's not. And unless you're really, really listening to the, the commentary, you might even have missed this, Steve. I don't know. But Lance mis- mentions that at the end of the Terry Funk and Sting brawl, uh, Ricky Santana and Jack Victory got into it in a brawl of their own. We don't see this. This doesn't air on TV, but I guess it explains the way, uh, explains away why we don't get the Santana and Victory match on the actual program, which I'm thankful for. I'm fine with that, but it just seemed really weird the way they explained it away like that. I don't even know if you caught that. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. It was, I was recuperating from the from this, the funk sting stuff, so I, I, yeah, didn't, and, I didn't pick up on that. But, and, I'll, and I'll be wow. honest with you, uh, I didn't catch it the first time. When I had to go back and record the audio, that's when I heard it. So I would have never heard it either if I just went through it you know, and took my notes and moved along. So yeah, but I, I caught that. It was really weird. I'd never really heard anything like that before. But we do get action from the great Muda. He's in handicap action here against Joe Cruz and Deke Rivers. Kevin Sullivan on commentary, selling Muda, selling the Funk and Flair program. So Sullivan not really doing much for himself here this week. Muda gets cleverer this week. He uh, locks in a double nerve hold, locks in a trapezius nerve hold on both Cruz and Rivers at the same time. Also does a double handspring elbow, hits both guys at the same time. Moonsault on Cruz ends this one in about three and a half minutes. Promo time, Bob Cottle with Kevin Sullivan by his side. They interview Gary Hart and Great Muda, and it's angle alert time. They talk about the Dragon Shy death match, uh, or Dragon Shy match, coming up with Eddie Gilbert very soon. Gary Hart runs down Eddie Gilbert. Kevin Sullivan runs down Eddie Gilbert. Of course, this brings out Eddie Gilbert's woman, Miss Missy Hyatt. They tell her that this is a man's sport, and she needs to get lost. And Missy says that Hart is no man, uh, basically questioning his manhood. And this upsets Muda, who sprays green mist right into Missy's face and probably not the first time she's been sprayed in the face and definitely not the last. I'm not even touching that one. (laughs) But in seriousness, uh, she sold it great. She screams, uh, great screams, and she drops down to her knees. And Scott Snyder and Doug Gilbert come out and make the save and just just a really great angle. We're seeing this follows the funk and sting brawl, and you got two back-to-back just huge angles here on Pro this week, which is unusual. These are these are better than the world championship wrestling angles. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you one hundred percent. Could you imagine if you was a kid or even an adult and you, you got pro and worldwide on the same day on your syndication and then let's say pro went first, you got the funk sting angle, then you got Missy getting misted to start like, you know, pr- progress another feud. Uh you get a decent match coming up and then you the very next thing is worldwide and you get a US title change. Um that's one hell of a weekend, and you ain't even talking about Saturday night and even main event yet. Just incredible. It's been really two. It was two of the best syndication shows I've ever seen, as far as angles and matches and stuff like that, compared right. to everything else I've seen. It was just, it's just, it's, it was incredible to go through them. Right. Up next, we get clips from World Championship Wrestling last week. It's the Midnight's over Butch Reed and the Raider. It's time for Pettacino Knows. This one's all about Norman, so we can skip that because we've seen all the vignettes up to date. And the main event, I believe this is the main event. Uh, yeah, it is the main event of the show. It's the rematch promised from last week. It's Ricky Steamboat in the ring once again with Butch Reed. And Ricky's lost his good theme here. No more Alan Parsons project. He's also lost his family, so I'm not complaining about that. No more Little Dragon, no more Bonnie at ringside, at least not right now. Teddy Long joins commentary while Butch Reed jumps the dragon to get things going. Butch Reed, a uh, shit ton of punching, really good looking punches too. They take the fight to the floor. 
punches and chops from Reed and Steamboat back and forth. Good stuff. Butch Reed locks in a sleeper. The dragon runs into the corner. Butch Reed goes face first into the turnbuckle to break the hold. Solid stuff from Butch Reed. Probably some of his best stuff yet. Dragon backflips yeah. uh, uh, behind an atomic drop attempt. Lands on his feet into a cradle for the win in just 4 minutes, 41 seconds. I didn't like the finish as far as how how fast it came. I, I would like to see more between these two. Butch Reed has looked pretty damn good here, you know, uh, in the last couple weeks uh, with Steamboat in particular. But just he's doing a lot more offense, and, and he's looking like he cares a little more. And fin- finish came out of nowhere. It was decent, but just too short to be anything. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to sum it up. They went longer for a DQ than they did for the payoff. It doesn't make much sense, but right. this is better than their last match, I thought. And Reed, he seems invested for some reason. I wonder why. I'm sure we'll find out here, hopefully, pretty soon. <laughs> and uh, we close the show. It's highlights of Lex Luger from Worldwide defeating Michael Hayes to regain the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. And following that, we get a pre-tape promo from Lex Luger with Jim Ross, and here's that promo. Ladies and gentlemen, it's certainly a pleasure to me to be here with a new United States Heavyweight Champion, the total package, Lex Luger. Lex, let me be the first uh, broadcaster to congratulate you on your victory over Michael Hayes. It was a quite a controversial one, though, no doubt. Uh, you know, I really never felt, Jim Ross, that I ever really lost it. This is the sweetest victory by far of my wrestling career. Bar none. Rex Luger has come full circle, Jim Ross. This vindicates. I feel sanctified. I feel cleansed. I feel reborn in the sport of professional wrestling. Because I have found, Jim Ross, that the system that I've been operating under for the past year in NWA also works. And it works very well for the total package, Lex Luger. This is a new evolution in the career of Lex Luger. This is a total package. I will go out on the line, and you know I am a man, Jim Ross, that says what he means. You will never see Lex Luger on the losing end of a match in the NWA of professional wrestling again. Lex Luger is a U.S. champion to stay, and I have a new motto. It's not a new one, Jim Ross. Winning isn't everything, but for Lex Luger from now on, Winning is the only thing. We're knocking on the door of the Clash of the Champions with Funk and Steamboat. little upset, I'm sure, that he, he's not even booked on the show. <laughs> we close out Pro with that uh, Luger promo, and um, he, he seems ready to, uh, you know, evolve the character of the total package. Yeah, it looks like he has his sights set on other things, and he's clearly, like I stated earlier, he's, he's going on a different path here. And I think it's more suiting of Lex Luger, and I'm interested to see where it goes completely. I've seen some, but it's been a long time since I went through this whole year, so I don't really remember all of it, but I'm pretty excited to see where that's going. There's a lot going on here that I'm looking forward to, for sure. And uh, we're only four days out from Clash of the Champions, so Clash of the Champions coming up this Wednesday, but right now we're heading into the nighttime program, the World Championship Wrestling Show on TBS for June 10th. Jim Ross and Michael Hayes hosting. We start off the show with Ranger Ross over Jim Bryant. Ranger Ross is back to getting introductions. He's, he's got his music back. He's, he's walking out to the ring instead of already standing in the ring like a job guy. Or I don't know if this is another push for Ross or if this is just to build him up for the clash at Fort Bragg, which I'm kind of getting the feeling that's what it really is. Teddy Long shows up at ringside here after being the one who's cost Ross some wins lately. I don't really understand the point of 
long, long out here, but Ranger gets the win with the combat kick here in about three minutes. And we learned here that Ranger Ross will meet the very well-known terrorist at Clash of the Champions. If that doesn't sound like just a throwaway match and a throwaway job guy name, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, especially at Fort Bragg. That, that you know exactly what they're going for there. Next match, it's the Great Muda taking on Ray Lloyd. And Great Muda will demonstrate the Dragon Shy match we learn at Clash of the Champions. And it was kind of cool here. Muda sprays white mist as he gets in the ring. And then just 30 seconds later, he, he sprays red mist. So back-to-back just changed colors and, and got a big pop from the fans for doing so. Yeah, that looked awesome. So I'm going to ask you, Steve, do you know who Ray Lloyd is? Who doesn't, man? That's that's my buddy. That's my guy, Glacier. Yeah, and it's a shame. It's a shame it's that Gla- Glacier, yeah, Glacier hasn't mastered the uh, martial arts here yet with Muda because um, we could have some great Mortal Kombat or, or Street Fighter type action <laughs> had had Ray Lloyd already broken down and become Glacier, but uh, WCW hadn't spent like fifty thousand dollars on his nonsensical entrance yet. We get Muda chance throughout the entire 000? match. So, what's that? You say fifteen thousand? I said fifty thousand. Oh Jesus. Oh man, the special lighting, the the snowflakes, the uh, not the stupid gear. Oh yeah, he he was gonna be huge, wow. man. <laughs> if he, mm-hmm. it, it only took him about eight months to get there. He's coming. <laughs> Great mood of chance throughout this match. So you tell me how this guy couldn't get over as a baby face. He gets the win here with a German suplex in just over two minutes. Another good win from the Great Muda, and. Uh, Another squash match. Dick Murdoch follows up the Muda match. He gets a win over Fred Avery. Just does the dusty elbow this week. No brain buster for you, baby. Just a big elbow. We're going to get it done. The Dick Murdoch with a win in a minute and 47. And uh, that takes us to a, a Murdoch promo. And since Bob Orton's gone, he's been fired. Dick Murdoch has nothing to talk about. So they use him to put over the, the Terry Funk and Ric Flair feud. Uh, basically, Michael Hayes and Jim Ross out there interviewing Murdoch and uh, they bring up Terry Funk taking on Ricky Steamboat at, at Clash. And uh, basically, Hayes is trying to get Murdoch to admit that he knows Terry Funk better than anyone else. He claims he even knows him maybe better than Dory. I don't really know where the, the storyline lies. I guess they're Texans, and that's just where it goes. But basically, what they're trying to get Dick Murdoch to say is Terry Funk is more aggressive and more. He wants the belt more than he just has more of a drive now than he's ever had before. And that's basically where they close the, the promo. It's just Dick Murdoch putting over Terry Funk, really. And Murdoch's a face. He's not doing it in a, a heel way. He's just admitting that, yeah, you know, Terry Funk's on a, on a rampage tour right now. Yeah, pretty much. He's talking about how him and Funk used to fight each other when they were like seven or eight because their dads were in the ring fighting and, and things like that. And uh, he, he knows Funk, obviously, if that's all true, what he was saying. So he is a good person to interview about the situation. So it made sense in that in that aspect. And they kind of they did a good job of putting that over. But I thought it went a little long for my liking. Uh, we move on to another squash match. It's the Midnight Express getting ready for the clash in their semifinal matchup. So here they're taking on Lee Scott and Keith Steinborn, and Teddy Long wanders to ringside here. Who the hell is he scouting, Lee Scott? Because uh, Jim Cornette's out there with the Midnights. Vegematic ends this one, 2 minutes, 17 seconds. Who takes the bump? Why, Lee Scott, of course. And the Midnights get the win here. Uh, <laughs> Midnights get the win here with no problem whatsoever. And it's off to a promo by Paulie Dangerously as he discusses the SST versus the Midnights at the Clash. Paulie says uh, he won't need to cheat because the SST won't need him to cheat. They're going to have that match in the bag. So we find a way to continue the Paul Lee and Cornette feud while 
not actually making it about the feud because this match is all about getting to the world tag team title finals. I enjoyed this. And he, he kind of ended the, the promo. He says, uh, they don't, the SST don't need me to beat the midnights. And then he tells us to think about it. Has he ever lied to us before? <laughs> Maybe not up to 1989, but, uh, it, it's coming, you know, the lies and things. So I'm sure he's a shyster just as much as he is now as he was then. So, um, Anyway, that's how he ended the promo. It's Paulie. Good stuff. So uh, we head to some arena somewhere. I have no idea where, but we're getting ready to watch a Terry Funk promo from some arena somewhere in the world. And uh, Funk says some pretty choice words here that they don't bleep out, which kind of can. Conf- uh, I was I was actually very surprised, at least that it wasn't bleeped out on the WWE Network. But he makes some comments, some derogative comments towards Steamboat's uh, child, and uh, that brings Steamboat out to confront him. They're having a match here at the Clash, and up until this week, I don't remember them ever mentioning this match. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't remember them even selling or building this match up whatsoever until th- this weekend. But, um, yeah, so so we have Funk cutting the promo, Ricky Steamboat coming out to confront him, and then we get some, some very clever and unique booking, especially by 1989 standards, because what you'll hear at the end of this audio clip that I grabbed is Lex Luger demanding them to cut the tape and uh, we go back to center stage for Lex Luger to cut a promo. And uh, I, I recorded some of that here. We're going to listen to part of it right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk to Terry Funk about the big class of champions coming up this Wednesday night in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And Mr. Funk has finally cracked the top 10 in the NWA at number 10. And this Wednesday night live on prime time here on the Superstation, he will wrestle the number one contender, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, this Wednesday night. Jim Ross, I want to tell you and the simple-minded people out there the cold, hard facts one time and one time only. I am from a professional wrestling family. And many years ago, my father was a wrestler too. And my father died in my arms after a professional wrestling match. They had his funeral and thousands of people came to his funeral and they brought every kind and color of flower imaginable. That, like I said, was many years ago. Then the years went by and I went back to the gravesite and all that was there was me and the West Texas winds. And I looked down at that headstone of his, and it said Funk, F-U-N-K. And I swore to the heavens above that I would make that name synonymous with wrestling forever. Forever. If I have to step on Sting, I will. If I have to step on Luger, I will. If I have to step on Steamboat, his family, I will. That includes that little pig-nosed half-breed child of his, because what I want to do is I want to have Ric Flair. And I bet my last breath, I bet my heartbeat, I will bet my... Hey! I know that this is your interview time, but if you want to talk to me, and if you want to talk about me, if you want to talk about my family, don't talk into the camera. 
Tell it to me face to face. Get it off your chest. What have you got on your mind? I want Ric Flair. You talk about, I will talk about my family. This is my interview time and I am ranked number 10. Why are you ranked number one? Whenever Ric Flair beat you, just defeated you, why aren't I number one? I'm asking you now. That's a question that you can ask the NWA committee. I said cut that tape. That interview's over. Get behind the camera. I want a camera out here right now. Hey, well, we're live. Get the camera out. Get behind the camera. Cut that interview. Okay, and before we get to Lex Luger and how awesome this whole setup is here, I just want to go back real quick because it's more a classic Ricky Steamboat promo because Terry Funk's out there calling his son a pig-nosed half-breed. And the first thing Ricky Steamboat says, he doesn't come out there and hit Terry Funk in the face. He doesn't come out there and talk shit to Terry Funk. The very first thing Ricky Steamboat says is, I know this is your interview time. He's basically apologizing for interrupting Terry Funk for calling his child a half-breed. Ricky Steamboat, just too good of a guy. Just too baby face, you know, for his own good. He can't be mean to anybody. Poor, poor, Poor Steamboat. Um, um, I picked but, up on that too, man. <laughs> but what happens next is tremendous, and it's it's maybe the first time it's ever been done. I don't know, but very unique and clever booking here because this is a pre-taped uh, promo from from an arena somewhere. And back at center stage, Lex Luger's demanding them to to turn off that turn that off and let him speak. He's more more important, important. Th- than than Funk and Steamboat because he's the U.S. champion. And we even see like a, a female there. I don't know, some type of producer or, or whatever. And he's yelling at her and he's yelling at Ross and he's demanding and he's, he's yelling at the directors. And it's really, it's like breaking the fourth wall almost. It's like, it's a shoot, but not a shoot. They're making it look like a shoot. He goes out there and Luger's on a tirade. He's pissed off. He wants to know he's the U.S. champion. This is Clash of the Champions. Why the hell doesn't he have a match on Clash of the Champions? It's supposed to be about him. He wants to know why. Luger and, and or, uh, uh, Steamboat and Funk even are competing for a number one contender type situation here because Luger's a champion. Steamboat lost the belt. He asks, who has Funk even beat? And then he even goes on to, to shit on Ric Flair, stating like basically implying that Ric Flair's hiding at home so he doesn't have to lose the title. So uh, Lex is definitely coming across more, far more heelish here. Yeah, this was, this was awesome. This is one of the best promos Luger had up to this point in 89. He's very believable. He was pissed. He was angry. Um, everything he said made sense. He said it with conviction. He took a crap on everybody. You know, Ricky Steamboat has a match with Terry Funk. How come he's not on that match uh, or in that match? Or why doesn't he have a match with one of those guys? He wants to get to the top of the list. He tells Flair he needs to give up his belt or he needs to come back and wrestle. He needs to quit hiding at home. And he's like, I'm the, the king of the hill. It's all about. It's all going to come down to who the, who the king of the hill is, and it's him. I love the fact that he just cut off the pro- – the, the interaction with Funk and uh, Steamboat. This was awesome. This whole segment was great. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it was very different. It made it, it was there was a lot of realism to it. it made it feel real, uh, very real. And then Luger leaves after cutting this big promo. And to continue in the realism, Jim Ross is like, "Well, we didn't mean to interrupt that video footage, so let's go back to it." And they actually do go back to the footage that Luger interrupted. And uh, Funk has basically walked away at this point with Ricky Steamboat out there. And we get our, our typical Ricky Steamboat promo. Uh, he's basically talking the top 10, Ricky Steamboat being number one. And uh, there's a, apparently a few guys now. Funk feels he should be number one. Steamboat is number one. Luger's wanting to be number one. So 
they're making this top 10 very important. Yeah, absolutely. He even, like, right before Luger walked off, he's like, well, if you would have waited a second, he, he said nice things about you, talking about Steamboat. Right. Um, and I thought this was a great way to make their show appear live. Um, we know it's not. It's not tape, but the the mystique of the Saturday Night Show, it always felt live. This is one of those ways that they could actually do it, you know, show that it's live. Like, Luger coming out, hey, get the camera on me now. Let's go. And Ross, I think, even says that we're live here, buddy. So... They did a great job with this, and uh, the fact that they actually went back to it was awesome. That, that, that just added to it as well. That was great. We get a pre-tape promo here by Kevin Sullivan. He talks about uh, the NWA coming to Boston Garden, which is Kevin's hometown, Boston, and uh, he'll be taking on Rick Steiner there. And Sullivan almost cut kind of like a babyface promo because he put over his hometown. Uh, but then we morph into, we learn that Sullivan will be teaming with Mike Rotunda to take on the Steiner brothers at Clash of the Champions, and it'll be the Steiners' first time teaming in a competitive match uh, at Clash of the Champions, so that, that should be kind of fun. So we learned Rick Steiner's back in this episode. We also learned that Mike Rotunda's back, and it's funny because the Varsity Club had been dissolved, or so we thought, and now here we are, Kevin Sullivan right back, teaming with Mike Rotunda in the next match, in fact, because I don't know if you want to call them the Varsity Club or not. I I suppose not, although they do use the Varsity Club music here. Sullivan and Rotunda team up. Rotunda's back on TV, first time since Wrestle War. They get a win over Dwayne Bruce and uh, some guy by the name of Mark Smith. Rotunda with the Butterfly Suplex, and then Rotunda or Sullivan follows up with the Double Stomp, get the win on Mark Smith in just over a minute and a half, and the Heels beat the crap out of the Jobbers afterwards, which brings the Steiners to the ring, and, and the match ends, or the uh, segment ends with a, a brawl between the Varsity Club and the Steiner brothers. And then it's uh, promo time by Wild Bill Irwin, and he's he's coming to the class for a TV championship match with Sting. My takeaway from this promo was Wild Bill needs his mustache back. He just doesn't look the same without that mustache. Not not a very threatening character. <laughs> no, definitely not. And into the ring with Wild Bill Irwin as he takes on Mike Justice, and the finish is hilarious. Irwin tries to leapfrog Justice, I guess, to bounce off the ropes and come back with his finisher, which is a, a bicycle kick. But as Irwin tries to leapfrog Justice, I use the term tries uh, because he doesn't make it. He stumbles, takes a bump. Maybe if you don't wear jeans in the ring, you could clear a guy a little better, you know? So Irwin still tries to deliver the kick, but the timing's all off, and it just looks like a, a normal kick to the guy's gut. And this looked terrible, so he tries it again, hits the bicycle kick, it gets the win in two minutes, 45 seconds. Completely screwed up finish by Bill Irwin, but he makes up for it by by whipping Mike Justice with the bullwhip after the match. Yeah, there wasn't a lot going on with this one. NWA World Tag Team Tournament match. This is the final match in the quarterfinals. The Dynamic Dudes taking on the, up until now, just a name on paper, the New Zealand Militia. We had no idea who they were. And uh, the winners here will meet the Freebirds in the semifinals at the Clash. So the Militia... Is, uh, winds up being Rip Morgan, which makes sense. He's from New Zealand. Iron Sheik's gone. Morgan getting thrown here into a, a tag team, which I said he needed to be in a tag team. He'd thrive in a tag team. Unfortunately, his partner is Jack Victory. And uh, Victory's given up his green shitty janitor costume here for some fatigues. Uh, Michael Hayes puts over the uh, new member of the Freebirds during this match because he's reminding us that that new member of the Freebirds will debut at the Clash and somehow just automatically gets to replace Terry Gordy in this this tournament, whatever. Finish sees Johnny Ace roll up Morgan out of the corner while Rip was pounding on Shane Douglas. Match goes about five minutes. We get a post-match beatdown with Militia. I marked out because they had boomerangs because, you know, they're from New Zealand. 
and they basically put a beat down on the dudes with boomerangs. So that was kind of cool, if, if nothing else. Yeah, the boomerangs are a nice touch. But yeah, these guys are going nowhere fast. I did like their boots. Their boots were pretty awesome. And so you had asked me on the last grenade if the dudes had ever had Wipeout as their theme. And I, I said yes, but I wasn't sure who sang it because I knew it was a like an updated rock-type version. And I, I did a little Google search, and it turns out that the Beach Boys teamed with the Fat Boys, of all people, to cut the new track. And here's a quick little sample of the dudes' theme because it's edited off the network, but they, they do have it by now. They no longer use that Arn Anderson music, so... Here's a little clip of the late 80s uh, version of Wipeout. And that's enough of that. But uh, you you get the idea. And th- th- there you go. So, yeah, they, they were using a, an actual real song for a little bit there before they move on to another generic beach-type theme later on in the dude's run here. And speaking of awesome themes, okay, we weren't speaking of awesome themes, but now we are. The next match, yes. the next match involves Randy Rose and Bucky Siegler taking on the Samoan SWAT team. And this is where the SST debut the Halloween, the Michael Myers theme as their entrance music. And it was just so awesome. And it fit them so well. Oh, yeah. And uh, I grabbed it right here because it's, obviously it's not on the network. So I grabbed the sound bite right here for everyone to have a listen. That was just so cool. And I don't remember what show it is. I don't know if it's a clash, if it's a pay-per-view, because I haven't seen it in a while. But there's there's a match where they come out to the, the Halloween theme, and they're they're like juggling fire, throwing fire at each other, or whatever the hell was going on there. And it, it looked so cool. I was so in awe of the SST when they were... And I remember them using this theme music as a kid. So it scared the hell out of me on top of that. Like, it really worked for them. That's the music I remember them coming out to. So... Um, very, very cool stuff. Good choice of, of, of theme music while they could get away with it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's incredible. And it goes with them. Perfect. Like you said, it's like a ball and a glove, man. Just, just excellent. And they, they're adding the pineapples, like you said, and they're, they're doing, they're changing up their gear a little bit and it's just, they're coming together really, really nicely. Yeah, and even Paul E. seemed to be in a trance here. And I don't mean a, a gimmick trance, like a cartoon trance. I just mean 
he was more serious. He looked more angry, more hostile. And, and he wasn't the normal loud mouth, you know, psycho yuppie on the cell phone, Polly. He was, he was a little more uh, grittier with this theme playing. He really played the part as well. And Fatu with the splash here on Siegler. SST get the win in two minutes, 15 seconds. And poor Randy Rose gets the, the stamp of jobber as he gets a pineapple broke over his head post-match. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the end of Randy Rose. I mean, even if he wrestles anymore, that's pretty much the end of Randy Rose and any type of push that he might have been getting. Uh, SST with a win there. And that's followed by a promo from Jim Cornette because the SST will meet the Midnights at the Clash in the semifinals. So Jim Cornette says two things happened last week. The Ayatollah croaked, and the Midnight Express won their tournament match. And uh, I, I had to Google that real fast. I didn't question Cornette, but I just wanted to double check. And yes, the Ayatollah did croak the, the week prior, and Jim Cornette so aptly put it. So we got the SST and the Midnights at the Clash in the semis, and we'll see what happens when we get there. And it's a promo time by Teddy Long. Teddy Long promised the debut of Norman. This is where we learned that Norman will debut at the Clash. But he also says he has another surprise at the Clash. And I'm not sure if that actually happens or not, because if it's the surprise I'm assuming it was supposed to be, I know that doesn't happen. Maybe I'm forgetting something else. We'll find out when we do the watch along. I'm not trying to read too far ahead. I'm very, very curious to see what happens with that. And then we close the show with the Steiner brothers out there. And uh, it's Rick and Scott for the very first time ever. The Steiner brothers on TV teaming up with a win over the Raider, Doug Gilbert. And from out of town, Snake Brown. That's how he's introduced anyway. Uh, so it's the debut of the Steiners. The fan is back. The nerdy fan, Robin Green, woman, Nancy, whatever you want to call her. She's back. And she has taped the I Love Rick Steiner sign back together with some duct tape. So God bless her. And uh, Rick decides to take off his Letterman jacket. He gives her his Letterman jacket. She puts it on. Just more of the same, you know, uh, crush situation going on there. They're obviously playing up uh, sweethearts, uh, school sweethearts now is where their mental state of mind is anyway. Rick wins the match here with an overhead belly to belly and an elbow drop on Snake Brown. Match only goes a minute 47. So even though it's the debut of the Steiner brothers, not a whole lot to the action. I mean, they did beat the crap out of the job guys, but we didn't get to see a lot of a Steiner brother offense together. And then the match post-match earlier, we saw the Steiners run in and attack Sullivan and Rotunda. Here, the roles are reversed. The Steiners get the win, and Rotunda and Sullivan attack the Steiners as we go off the air. Yeah, it's funny as hell. Like, when this match first started, Rick and Snake Brown are in the ring, and they're kind of looking at each other's hair, and Rick kind of tilts his head sideways, and he's looking at him funny, and Snake has no idea what to do with it. It was pretty comical. I mean, Rick's gotten away from that side, uh, the Kevin Sullivan stupid shit that he was doing, but uh, you could still tell he's having fun here. And, um, yeah, they, they look great, and I'm, I'm happy these guys are together. It's just some more entertaining squash matches to look forward to, you know, with the SST, the Steiners, Great Muda, the Roadies here and there. Right. Um, it's it's going to be very fun going forward. And I put this in my notes here because I keep forgetting to mention it. It really has nothing to do with anything we've just covered. But I'm wondering, I'm curious, what happened to the Danger Zone? Remember the Danger Zone? You know, it just it started off hot with, with guys like Flair on the show and then, it quickly fizzled into uh, guys like Cougar J and, and Junkyard Dog. And then it seems like Paulie ran out of money or his, his parents ran out of money here because there's no more danger zone. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it just disappeared. It's one of those things. I don't know. Like Paulie and 
outside of Teddy Long, it seems like managers in general are just kind of getting phased down a little bit. Paulie hasn't cut a lot of promos. Cornette's doing that same. They, they aired the same tape promo over and over. So I, it seems like managers are just getting phased down, so they don't really have anything dangerous zone to really go with. Yeah, and if it wasn't for the main event and Paulie spending an hour getting himself over and getting you know his guys over and things like that, he he wouldn't have a whole lot of time. He's getting like a minute, minute and a half promos. So it's like you said, yeah, it really feels like the managers have been phased down a lot as far as promo time goes. And speaking of the main event, we move into the main event for June 11th, the final show this week on the on the Grenade, and it's hosted by Polly Dangerously and Lance Russell. And we kick the show off with Terry Funk taking on Ranger Ross and, and some comical, great promo stuff by Terry Funk to get things going. He's out there. He's telling Ranger Ross to do the national anthem, to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh <laughs> Funk's just great on, on the mic. Uh, he, he winds up attacking Ranger. It's just so funny to watch Terry Funk make something out of everything. He doesn't have to do a lot or, or get Ranger Ross over, but instead he takes his character and he adds to it. Terry Funk's just great at everything. He calls Ranger Ross a son of a bitch. You can even hear that on, on, the, on the show. I, I can't believe they didn't edit that out. But Ranger does fight back. Funk gets knocked into the crowd. He grabs a chair from Klondike Bill, yanks it out from under Klondike Bill, which was, which was funny. I didn't understand this. Ranger Ross does the Karate Kid stance, the one-foot balance stance. Um, basically, he was mocking himself and his martial arts. At least that's the way I took it. I really didn't understand why he did that. Funk goes on to do, I don't know, close to 10 headbutts in a row for whatever reason to Ross. And Ross no-sells him because, you know, he's African-American. And uh, Funk starts wobbling away. He sells it. Great sell job by Funk, but this whole, you know, every black guy has a hard head thing is just so outdated here in 1989. Just ridiculous. Yeah, it's definitely, it's stupid. I mean, Funk did a good job selling it here. But, yeah, it's something that should have been gone a long time ago. Did you see Ranger Ross do his leap over the top rope? This, yeah, I was, this I was time getting to that. And he got yeah. smoked. <laughs> yeah, this is great because Ross actually drop kicks Terry Funk to the floor, and then he does that that leap, that giant leap that he always does to the floor that results in nothing. And this time on the way down, just lands right into a, a straight right hand from Funk right in the jaw as he's coming down. Great spot, and knocks oh, basically oh. knocks uh, Ross out cold. And then we get the pile driver on the floor, and Terry Funk winds up getting the win here. Yeah, what's cool is Funk didn't bury Ranger Ross in the slightest. I mean, Ross no, he did gave his him offense. Plenty. Yeah. He gave him plenty and kept him elevated a little bit. Uh, even probably helped him more than it hurt him taking this loss because Ross got a little over overzealous and went for a movie he always goes for, but Terry Funk's a veteran and caught him. So Yeah, if you um, pay attention, if you really look at the time of these matches, these Funk matches – He's wrestling Range Ross. Match goes five and a half minutes. He's wrestling Eddie Guerrero. I think the match went around five and a half minutes. He wrestled Brad Armstrong. Based on results, that went around five minutes or so. Uh, all these matches are right around the same amount of time, but every one of them is completely different. It's like Funk, even though he hasn't even been in the business, he knows how to work each and every guy's style or how to get them over while getting himself over. Every match is different based on the, the opponent he has. And that's... That's amazing in and of itself, period, based on Terry Funk, the worker. But to come in here and do that with a bunch of guys, you you just came back in the locker room and you're doing this. Just tremendous uh, from Terry Funk. Yeah, and it almost makes you wonder, like, he was gone for so long, you know, what, three or four years out in Hollywood not doing it. He must have missed it, obviously. And uh, 
he started like, you know what? I'm going to give these guys some stuff. I know I'm in a top feud. I'm in the top feud in the company, but I'm giving these guys stuff. I missed it. I'm going to have fun with this. He, he helped a lot of guys on his way here. I mean, some of them got destroyed, but others like Ranger Ross and even Brad Armstrong, I'm sure we didn't see that match, but I just felt like he was having a good time and just willing to help anybody. And Funk's always seemed to be that way. Awesome, awesome guy. We see Rick Steiner in the ring with a masked guy by the name of the Bounty Hunter, and he is jacked up on steroids here. This is Rick's uh, first match back as far as singles competition goes. The Bounty Hunter is just huge, and he looks decent. He's decent in the ring. He, he bumps pretty okay. His offense looks okay for the uh, generic guy underneath in a mask. He's certainly on the gas. There's no question about that. Rick Steiner hits a, a super power slam off the ropes. He pulls the, the job guy up, the Bounty Hunter up. Uh, belly to belly gets the win. Match goes over nine minutes. I'm pretty sure if this is the, the guy I remember, we're going to see the Bounty Hunter quite a bit over the summer. I think he sticks around for a while doing jobs here on, on the TV. And uh, I'm not positive. I think I've read that this was Al Green who went on way later in WCW to be the dog. He was also with Kevin Nash and the Master Blasters. I think he was with Animal's brother. I think Al Green was the other member of the Wrecking Crew too. But I'm not positive, so I don't don't quote me on that yet. I'm gonna do. I, I didn't do any research going into this show, so. But I kind of remember this being Al Green. Looks a little big, in height yeah. to be Al Green, and I don't mean remember Al Green having all that hair either. But for some reason, I seem to remember this being Al Green. So again, don't quote me on it. I'll do research, and the next episode, I'll, I'll have a definitive answer. But I, I think that's who this is. And we close the show with uh, Ricky Steamboat taking on Wild Bill Irwin. This match goes about. Nine and a half minutes. Good, solid back and forth stuff. Uh, Ricky does that spot where he skins the cat back in but gets clotheslined right back out to the floor. Uh, this is where I hear the term peanut head coined for Teddy Long. Uh, we got uh, Teddy Long out there scouting. I think it's Jim Ross. Somebody on commentary points out that um, Teddy Long's out there. They call him peanut head, and they claim that Jim Cornette's the one that they coined the, the phrase or coined the name in the, the locker room. But I just thought that was kind of interesting because I remember Jim Ross saying that weekly, driving me nuts, continuously calling him peanut head uh, throughout the early 1990s. So Bill Irwin gets some uh, heat in, nothing fancy because it's Bill Irwin. Ricky Steamboat uh, with a superplex, and it's all dead weight. Irwin doesn't get up for him, and it was kind of dangerous, but he got him over. They do the clothesline into the crucifix spot, which we see uh, Ricky do a few weeks ago with Ron Simmons, and it honestly didn't feel as long as it was to me. It match went nine and a half minutes. It didn't feel like nine minutes, and that's saying a lot for a Bill Irwin match. I've come to the conclusion, though, that Steamboat is uh, great, but he needs to avoid that crucifix spot because he's not hitting it too well. Yeah, he's having troubles getting these guys over, and I don't they're, – they're bigger, so um, it's probably more difficult for them to just flop down for him. But, yeah, but the last two times we've seen it, it hasn't been very pretty. Now, if he did it on Ric Flair, it would probably look great, but – yeah, this match was okay. I thought it was kind of boring. And they also worked outside for quite a bit of time, but there was no 10 count. Like, they wasn't even counting. Like, they didn't break, get in the ring to break it up. They didn't do anything. They felt like they was outside for about two minutes, and there was no count at all. And, um, again, it's just one of those things where there's no rules, it feels like. And that's – it doesn't bother me, but when you have rules and you try to enforce them selectively, that's when it bothers me. So, right. but it is what it is. Decent way to wrap up the show, I guess. And we're going to close up the grenade with some final news and notes for this week. And um, first bit of news is the 
power hour, not our power hour, not the patron power hour of, of WrestleCopia, but the actual real NWA power hour is going to make its debut Friday night, June 23rd, 1989. So now that's an entire weekend of nighttime NWA programming on TBS. You have Friday night power hour, Saturday night world championship wrestling, Sunday night main event. And we learn uh, this is more of a going to be more of a magazine style show with some Matches mixed in, an interview segment with Terry Funk's being reported, other pieces mixed in as well. We'll see how long that format lasts. It's reported they want Jim Cornette for the show to co-host the show, but supposedly the Melts claims they're searching for the right co-host. We'll actually find out, and I'll spoil it for you right now. Jim Ross winds up hosting the show with Corny early on anyway. So another another it's show for Jim Ross. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they're moving Ross around and giving him, which one does he have? He has a uh, pro, right? Uh, worldwide right well, we now is what he has. But yeah, they claim he's going to pro, or at least that's what Meltzer's reporting, that he's supposed to be going to pro. Yeah, well, he's going to have the one syndication. He has World Championship Wrestling, and now he's going to have Power Hour. I mean, you got Lance Russell, Bob Cottle, and things like that. I think Lance Russell and Cornette would have been awesome together. That would have been one hell of a entertaining combo. Yeah, too much Jim Ross. Uh, we also learned that WCW, the World Championship Wrestling Saturday Night Program, is finally going to go back to 6.05 starting on June 24th. And the program is going to be 90 minutes when the Braves are at home and the full two-hour program when the Braves, Braves are on the West Coast and the games start later. So that makes sense. So at least they have some form of idea of how the show is going to be formatted. And it makes much better sense than the show getting changed, flip-flopped an hour, two hours. It's all over the place right now. So... Good for them, and moving it back to 6.05 certainly helps extend the program, gives them more time than just the, the 60 minutes uh, that they've been doing quite a, quite a bit here since the baseball season started back. And while the shows are getting better, and there's no doubt the shows are getting uh, much, much better, the ratings seem to be remaining very low, and you can't force people to come back or get new viewers overnight. And uh, that's why I grabbed this excerpt here from the Wrestling Observer, the Melts wrote, and uh, he makes a good point here, so I'm going to read that out. And this is from the Wrestling Observer. Dave Meltzer writes, Every big show since Starcade has been a good show. The problem isn't putting on good shows. And while booking has been a major problem in the past, it wasn't the major, it wasn't the major problem. Typo there by Meltzer. The problems are positioning on television, syndicated television, and public perception of the product. A great pay-per-view telecast and great house shows won't change those problems, and my feeling is that the real turnaround can't take place until those problems are dealt with. Sure, Flair as a baby face will get a great pop and super heat in the houses, particularly with a heel with the knowledge and ability of funk. The television interviews between the two may very well exceed those of Randy Savage, but if people aren't watching the TV, if people aren't watching the pay-per-views and the promotion of the house shows stays the way it is, the way it has been, they may do a great product and have a great matches, but it won't result in great money. And that's basically, uh, it's very well put by Meltzer. Yeah, absolutely. That, that sums up the NWA at this point. I mean, I'm very, very entertained by most of these shows. Some of them, there's boring spots, but every show has boring spots. Um, the pay-per-views have been tremendous. I mean, people, I mean, Chi-Town Rumble was okay, but you have, Flair and Steamboat in one hell of a match, one of the greatest matches of all time. So that kind of gives it a pass. Uh, Wrestle War was awesome. The clashes have been decent because of Flair and Steamboat. So they're putting on good shows. 
and uh, that, that's definitely not an issue. But we've talked about these issues with syndication. The, the commentary is changing over and over. Time's changing on Saturday night. Then you got the house shows. I don't even know what house shows they have. Sometimes they have it where I don't know if it's just the editing on the shows we're watching, but they show like where they're going to be at. And they're starting to get better at talking about where they're going. I know Ross did a rundown talking about being in India and things like that. And then the Sullivan promo about being in Boston. So they're getting a little, they're starting to do it a little bit. And that's not but some I, new format. If you watch the older episodes of World Championship Wrestling, Tony Schiavone was doing that all the time, dropping, you know, yeah. basically a week at a time of where they're going to be instead of, you know, instead of just uh, depending on Pedicino to try to put one, one localized show over. And, uh, yeah, I did notice yeah. Jim Ross pointed out a, a tour they were going to do across Indiana and, and, and he mentioned Cleveland and, and things like that at, at some point here. So, yeah, they are starting yeah. to mention it again during normal commentary, which is good. And the, the one thing that I, impossible, I don't think anyone can do it. I mean, you had all the talent in the world here in the NWA, but you it, it's impossible to outrank the WWF. You can't. No matter what you do, the public perception is going to be wrestling is the WWF and that's it. So you got to find a way to make it work to where you're making decent money and get those fans to buy your product. You shouldn't necessarily have to worry about being number one. Obviously, that's the goal. You want that. But at this point in time in 1989, good luck. Uh, nothing's going to pass the, the the WWF at this point. So you need to figure out a way to fix your own issues before you can even start challenging Vince and company. So yeah, um, it's an uphill and, battle and it's impossible for almost anyone, but they had the pieces. It's just management. Yeah. And I'll only add to that, the, uh, that the majority of the public perception is that the WWF is uh, number one. Now they are financially number one, but there were plenty of Southern areas that obviously favored the NWA over the WWF. So they did have stronghold over certain areas like the Carolinas and things like that. And uh, it took, it took the WWF another decade, decade and a half um, to even draw in places like New Orleans and Dallas because of the hotbeds that had been world-class and mid South. And the fans had gotten so used to that type of wrestling that they never bought the hokey cartoon stuff. There were big t- there were big cities that, that Vince avoided for years because they couldn't draw there. And uh, same thing here, Crockett Country. People expected real wrestling, and so yeah. There's mm-hmm. while while the WF did reign supreme overall, there were areas where certainly the NWA was was on top. And um, yeah, and I, I was just kind of mentioning because I, I remember reading that from Meltzer, and he mentioned that public perception is pretty much the WWF's number one. And sure. And you also, you know, like also like Dusty Rhodes is showing up in the WWF by this point or coming up in the next month or so. Barry Wyndham's going there. Um, all these guys that were in the NWA that were top guys, even the Brain Busters, um, they're just mid-carders in the WWF. And that's a bad look for your company. You have no control over it. But at the end of the day, those are your top guys and they're coming to the WWF and just being mid-card. That's not a good look. So Well, the Busters will get the tag title. And I think Dusty... You could call him a semi-main. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I get mean, what I'm you're not, saying. I get what you're saying. They're not like on top every night like they no, were. It's not. In, in it's the, not four horsemen level or dusty main event yeah. level. Yeah, I understand. And Barry Wyndham certainly never even came close to reaching Wyndham his. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just tough. It, it's a, it's extremely difficult, and I mean they're trying everything they can. And I, these TV shows are better than anything you'll watch on WWF. To be honest with you, at this point in 1989, so. 
there, the TV's there. It's just behind the scenes and other things that really is meaningless now. But back then, it was everything, and they never really fixed it. And some just some last-minute uh, notes here uh, as we head into the clash. Um, I'm going to spoil it for everyone right now because it happened 31 years ago. So if you don't know this, then if you don't know who the mystery Freebird was, then you just don't know a whole lot about about the history of professional wrestling. But basically, Jimmy Garvin's returning to the NWA. He's going to be Michael Hayes' mystery Freebird here at the Clash. And uh, Garvin's being brought back in full-time as the Freebird because uh, Gordy only agreed to work between Japan dates, so he can't be there all the time. Garvin's going to become the full-time tag team partner for a big run here with Michael Hayes. And according to Jim Cornette and stories he's told, the uh, Freebirds uh, thought they were going to be the next, the second coming of the Road Warriors, as in they thought they weren't going to have to sell for anyone. And Jimmy Garvin had even went on the gas to get up, get a little thicker and bigger than he had been prior, just so he could uh, make a run here and become more believable in a, in a big guy frame, so to speak. So that's it's kind of funny, and you'll you'll have to watch that when the Freebirds start teaming up. We'll see we'll see how that evolves over the over the course of the summer. We'll see how that how how well that flies with guys like the Road Warriors and Doctor Death when they get in the ring later on, and. Uh, I had mentioned earlier <laughs> musical managers, and I wanted to touch on that real quick because they had mentioned Gary Hart had signed Dan Spivey. We also saw Teddy Long basically sign Ron Simmons and do everything but sign Butch Reed. So Spivey supposedly is with Gary Hart. Uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed are supposedly with Teddy Long, and everything just gets shaken up here and changed all at once. And uh, originally, supposedly, according to the Melts, one of the matches at Clash of the Champions was going to be Sid, the debuting Sid Vicious taking on Dan Spivey. How ironic is that and how interesting that would have been. Yeah. Also, at this point, we were supposed to see the debut of a tag team called the Ebony Experience. And no, I don't mean Booker T and Stevie Ray uh, from Global. I mean, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons were to use that tag team name and be accompanied by Teddy Long here, long before they were doomed with Teddy Long. That doesn't happen either. So Dan Spivey never actually, as far as I know, debuts under the guidance of Gary Hart. He winds up with Teddy Long and teaming with Sid Vicious as the Skyscrapers. Uh, we also know that Ron Simmons and Butch Reed will form a team, but under masks as Doom, and they'll end up wind up being managed by a woman. So a lot of shaking up here, a lot of uh, last-minute changes in the booking plans. And uh, it, it kind of sucks because I would have liked to have seen some of these these things I'm reading here, especially Teddy Long with this Ebony Experience type tag team. Although I do like the Doom name a whole lot better. So you, you're meaning to tell me that Teddy Long out here for like five weeks scouting people and he doesn't get anybody that he scouted. <laughs> that's what that's he tells me. That's basically the gist of it, yeah. Wow. Well, he must have been in Japan during that, that uh, Terry Gordy attack on Dr. Death scouting Dan Spivey. Maybe he stole him away from Gary Hart. I want to see if they even explain that or, or, or mention that Gary Hart was was Dan Spivey's imaginary manager here for a week or two. Oh, Lord. And, Lord as, we clo- oh. <laughs> and as we close up the show this week, uh, reminder, we'll be back next week with one of Steve's favorite, or I'm sorry, Steve's favorite Clash of the Champions. That's Clash 7, Guts and Glory from Fort Bragg. And uh, we'll be doing that clash in the watch-along format, part of the WWE Network. So I guess uh, I get to comment on the Ding Dongs live as well because that's the debut of the Ding Dongs. So your favorite Clash of the Champions features the Ding Dongs. So I can't wait to see this clash, Steve. (laughs) 
Yeah, man. It's I don't know why. I, I, and I, maybe we'll figure it out when I, when I watch it. But it, it's been a little while. And there's a, there's a cool story with Jim Ross there that I can share during this time. And uh, so look forward to that. But in all seriousness, it's Funk and Steamboat in the main event, the semifinals and the finals of the World Tag Team Tournament, the returning Dr. Death. He's going to take on Terry Gordy. We're going to see the Steiners team up in a competitive match against the, uh, I guess they're still the Varsity Club or, or whatever you want to call them, Sullivan and Rotunda. Sting's defending his TV title against Bill Irwin. It's the debut of Norman, and, and I, I did mention that also the debut of the Ding Dongs. And no, that's not Teddy Long's other surprise. So yeah, a real fun show headed your way next week. Clash 7 looks to offer a little bit of everything for everyone, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit. There's something there for everybody. And uh, again, it's one of my favorite ones. So um, I'm excited to watch it again. Uh, I really enjoy the show. And once again, I just want to thank you uh, for joining me on this journey down memory lane as we pick up the pieces and analyze this crazy year of NWA here in 1989. Yeah, man, we've had a shit ton of twists and turns, and we're not even halfway through the year. So <laughs> we got a long way to go, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. If you guys are still living part-time in the 80s and 90s like myself, then you, you'll want to visit the RetroNetwork.com for everything your heart could possibly desire. They've got great articles and playlists covering the music and music videos from the decades when they were actually relevant. Uh, they've got a great number of podcasts over there as well. Articles covering everything from retro era sitcoms to movies to toys and even old school foods and snacks that were discontinued. Uh, there's something there for everyone. It'll trigger memories from decades gone by that you didn't even remember ever existed and, and bring back that nostalgic feeling of your youth. And right now there's a lot of Halloween themed stuff going on over there as planned. And that'll go on throughout the entire month of October. And I can't recommend the site enough. It's the retro network.com and, you can follow Jason Mickey and the crew at, on Twitter at TRN Social. If you guys haven't done so already, please follow us, our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. When you follow us, you automatically become available chosen at random for our free prize giveaways. And the more followers we get, the more gifts we can give away. Up next, obviously, is that Arn Anderson promo pick, that autographed Arn Anderson promo pick. And uh, we'll announce uh, more information on that next week. A reminder to stop over at our podcast network, WrestleCopia, the WrestleCopia podcast network at WrestleCopia.com to check out the latest posts from a variety of shows. There's several scheduled to launch over the next couple of months, so stay tuned and check back often. And lastly, please don't forget our Patreon content over at Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, where we offer everything from the Patreon-only Power Hour podcast to a variety of shows, reviews, and watch-alongs exclusive to Patreon. We're truly doing our best to keep this show an ad-free show, and in order to do so, we'd really appreciate your support by subscribing to our Patreon account. And that just about does it. We shall return next week with the Clash 7 Watch Along, and for Steve Eckstat, this is Ray Russell, saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin, and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there!
that includes that little pig-nosed half-breed child of his? <laughs> <laughs>